Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven. You are about to listen to the best show at the Daily Wire, not named the Andrew Claven Show, and that's Daily Wire Backstage. Myself, Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, sit down to discuss politics, religion, the culture, basically everything you've ever wanted to hear about on a show. Take a listen. One fake laugh. Ha! <laughs> that was a real laugh from Candace. Welcome to Daily Wire's backstage. Tonight, I am joined by Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Andrew Claven, the lovely Candace Owens. I am not Jeremy Boring. I'm Michael Knowles. We have quite a lot to get to this evening. Forget about the news stories. Forget about the impeachment for a second. Forget about Emily Ratajkowski for a second. Forget about the man in the giant hamster wheel crossing the Atlantic Ocean, if you can. I want to talk about convicting a murderer. Candace, your documentary series is out. You're proving that dirty, rotten guy to be completely guilty. Is that right? I don't know. I haven't seen all the episodes yet. Yes. Well, I can't tell. You're going to have to become a Daily Wire Plus member to subscribe to see all of the episodes. But yes, we released Convicting last week. Very exciting. It's obviously, it feels like a labor of love. And it is a very interesting story to dive into, especially after doing the BLM doc. Um, Because I think people always think that we jump or I jump into something racially. And it's really just about wrong is wrong and right is right. The Stephen Avery case came so much uh, before uh, BLM, but right when BLM was getting started and there was this anti-police sentiment and Netflix kind of seized on that moment culturally to make people believe that a guy, a most contemptible person, once you really get into his history, uh, was plausibly being set up by the police. And it was a smash docuseries at the time. It honestly put Netflix on the map um, back in 2015. All the usual suspects of celebrities going out there and saying he was innocent. Alec Baldwin, update, he's killed someone since. Um, <laughs> you have Chrissy, oh, <laughs> Chrissy Teigen, uh, Trevor Noah, and you know, finally white people see that the system's corrupt. You know, everything that you could expect. And uh, bizarrely, the people that thought he was guilty from the beginning, James Franco, Matt Walsh, just unbelievable. Me and James Franco line up on a lot of things. It's just yeah. crazy. And Donnie Wahlberg were standing That's against That's the, the trio. Right I know. I just, <laughs> I like that trio. I don't know. It feels right. The prophets you knew. Drew knew that he was guilty. I, I, but I think everyone's guilty. I mean, I, I would like you to spend the rest of your career just convicting people who've gotten <laughs> off by TV people. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't the rule reverse serial? They're always guilty. They're right? always guilty. Yeah. I mean, everybody, because because the cops arrest people who are guilty most of the time. Right, but you know what's interesting is we're kind of in this spell right now in American society where they are pursuing this plot line everywhere that the villains are actually the heroes. And in, in the imaginary world, like Disney movies, like Maleficent, yeah. mm-hmm. suddenly actually, no, there's a heart there. The Joker, no, you really have to hear the backstory. It doesn't really matter that he killed somebody. Actually, deep down, something happened to him and the villain is actually the hero. And we see this over and over again happening. Wicked, the green witch. Mm-hmm. Actually, she had a soul and people wronged her. But when it trips over into real life, hmm. it gets quite dangerous. It really does get quite dangerous. And the cult behind Stephen Avery, the fact that he's had multiple fiancés in prison, that women are lining up, that they love him, which happens anyways. Ted Bundy, it's a, it's a weird phenomenon that people want to marry a psychopathic killer, I guess. 
but to see how it impacts the lives of the victims who suddenly are accused of, in the case of Teresa Hallback, being alive, right? Uh, people came up with conspiracy theories because they watched a Netflix doc, harassed the family, deeply faithful Catholic family, never spoke to the press, told them the daughter was alive. They said they traced the cows and she was in Mexico. I mean, really mm. out there theories. And you had the majority of people that were willing to believe it because of a documentary, which brings into the question, why do we trust documentaries naturally more than like a movie? A movie, you go, okay, some level of propaganda and storytelling, but a documentary, I they obviously are telling me the truth on Netflix and the Central Park Five are, are innocent, right? <laughs> and and uh, Jeffrey Dahmer is just actually had a bad childhood. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. Netflix does this over and over and over again. They love Poor a mom. villain is actually yeah, the hero story. What? what? Yeah, one thing you learn from uh, the way people react to these these kinds of do- fake documentaries is that I, I think there's a crisis in our culture of people not having finely tuned BS detectors, which which you should you need to have that. There should just be things that jump out at you. Uh, so for me, it was uh, we talked about this in the in the Twitter space, the, the X space, I guess now. Uh, that when I learned in the Steve, I watched Making a Murderer, and then I and then I learned that, uh, and they kind of gloss over this, and the, they mention it, they gloss over it, but that he doused a cat in gasoline and set the cat on fire. Now, that doesn't mean that he's guilty of murdering a raping a woman. And who among us? Right, exactly. <laughs> but it's, like, it's like, that's the kind of thing that you hear that it should immediately make you think, well, something's not right. It's kind of the same thing. I think it's very similar to, not to change the topics, but, you know, the Free Britney movement and there was a whole Britney yep. Spears documentary. And then, and then you learn with Britney Spears that, well, wait a second, she lost custody of her kids in California, you know, as a mother. Again, it doesn't mean that she necessarily deserves to be under a, a, a conservatorship, but it's one of those things that you hear that, and it should make you think, well, I got to learn more about this, but people don't, they don't connect those dots. Well, one of the things that's really fascinating about you know, this particular case, and I think you're exactly right to focus in on the, the sort of undermining of legal institutions on this one, is that there have been so many, as you mentioned, podcasts like Serial or documentaries like this one mm-hmm. that are basically outsiders to the justice system who can, and I promise you, I worked in a prosecutor's office for a summer at one point, and, and one of the things that's very obvious is that if you spin reasonable doubt to mean literally any doubt, you can construct any story you could possibly want to construct. It's really not that difficult. Right? You, you can go through all the evidence and you can find like the most crazy explanations for things and then hook those together. And, and you can do it in literally any case. It's really not difficult to do it in any case. But if you don't know the system, then you've never really experienced that before. And so it feels like something new. It feels like, oh, my God, no one presented some of the evidence that was on the other side, even if it was presented mm-hmm. in court or even if they're actually taking things out of context. So I think it comes back to a level of institutional trust. And so you can have a documentarian go in and sort of weasel their way into the institutional mistrust and then mm-hmm. blow it up it is with also- a case like this, even <clears throat> if the case is bad. Right. It's also if people have never seen a cop work outside of television. This is right. Because, you know, the police, God love them. I love the cops, but they're not Sherlock Holmes. I mean, they're, they in Britain, they call them Mr. Plod, and there's a reason for that. They plod along until they've got the guy. And a lot of times, you know, when even when the defense brings in police misconduct, it's usually misconduct because they know he's the killer. <laughs> Just, you know, they think, all right, we'll, we'll cheat a little bit. Well, actually, that's a great there. example because you do see this all the time where you'll see a, a tape of a police officer doing a thing and everybody goes, oh my God, that's so horrifying. The police officer does the thing. And it's because you've never seen a police officer do a thing before. Right. You know, like- they're held to such high expectations. And it's funny that you said that because I mentioned that, that people assume it's like the movies, that they're like, well, why are the same police officers involved in this case, but we're also involved when Stephen Avery was, I'm like, have you been to Manitowoc County, Wisconsin? (laughs) How many police officers do you think they even have out here? And then there's this moment in the documentary because we had the police officers, which I, you know, 
Netflix attempted to finger as there they were just in it for a plot and they didn't want to pay out this $36 million lawsuit. And it's just so interesting to hear them say, yeah, we made a couple of mistakes. We're human beings. If I if I knew this was going to be turned into a Netflix docu-series and that I would be getting death threats from Norway, maybe I, I would have not made that phone call without, you know, on my cell phone as opposed to <laughs> yeah. on the police radio. I mean, it's like little mistakes like that. And that's all they needed to believe that Teresa was gone, this victim was gone with the cows in Mexico. Like, There's also you know? something they call the CSI syndrome, which, where people actually think that police departments have these things where... They can find an atom, you know, of blood spattered <laughs> five rooms down. Where most police departments are lucky they have a mimeograph machine. <laughs> or, or like, a, you know, an old Polaroid camera. You know, it's, it's just they, they really do not understand what police work is and how much of a plot it is, how much of a just the kind of going down the, the, the steps until you get to the guy who's obviously the killer. I wonder if, too, part of it is that we're now suffering from this moment where no one has trust in any institutions. Right, that is a- and I don't, I don't blame the people for that. I largely blame the institutions. <laughs> but, you know, when that happens, what we call conspiracy theories spread. Why do conspiracy theories spread? Well, because often these days, the difference between a conspiracy theory and the truth is about six months. And then neither side ha- believes in our elections anymore. And obviously neither side is going to believe in the justice system. But... Uh, I don't know, sometimes they get the guy, don't they? Right, exactly. And, and I am fascinated by the psychological elements of it, just really understanding the fandom of Stephen Avery and the people that were willing to look over things like burning yeah. the cat. I got his rookie tying, card, yeah. Tying a dog. His dog ran and got loose, and according to his brother, who's featured in this documentary, he got angry because the dog got loose, and so he tied it to a chain to his pickup truck and just dragged it. Down, drove it down the street. This is not normal behavior, but to <laughs> see the justification that people will make and just be like, well, it doesn't mean that he eventually killed a woman. Oh, well, he held a, a rifle to his cousin and ordered her into the car while she had a toddler in the car. Well, it doesn't mean these people, I mean, they just keep going and, kill, and then, well, how about the fact that he murdered someone? There's also the assumption, we talked about this off air a little bit, but the conspiracy theories, there's this, one of the problems with conspiracy theories is the assumption people make that government employees are capable, are, are so competent that they can come up with these kinds of plots, they hatch them, and then they execute them. Oh, so we're talking so, about aliens now. Sorry. Oh, we could get to that because we found out off here that Candace Owens is a big uh, supporter of the You aliens. know, over 8 <laughs> million people across all platforms <laughs> have seen this great documentary series. It is the second most popular TV documentary on Rotten Tomatoes. Episode 4 drops this Thursday night. Take a look. Coming up on Convicting a Murderer. What would be the upside for this man? I mean, he just got out of prison. He has this new lease on life. What would be the motive for something like this? We're talking about somebody with unexplainable, impulsive behavior, a pattern of violence and aggression. There were a lot of coincidences on the day that Teresa Halbach was killed, and making a murderer either completely omitted them or only presented half of the story. Stephen Avery leaves work and doesn't tell his brothers. He'd never used his sister's phone number to book an appointment before. Stephen Avery makes two phone calls to Teresa's phone. Why is he blocking his caller ID? I don't think Teresa liked Stephen the way Stephen wanted her to like him. He lied to murder because he can't get off the phone. Candace, if they haven't watched yet, 
Where can they watch? Daily Wire Plus. They, at dailywireplus.com. They can head over there. The first episode we actually put up for free on YouTube, which I think will be enough to hook you. It's We've really done an excellent job with this series. I'm very proud of what we've done. Um, and then we have episode two available as well as free in case episode one did not hook you. And then you will have to become a Daily Wire Plus subscriber, dailywireplus.com. You can't go wrong. I do want to ask you guys a question. It was something that I started asking. You bring up these aliens. About the so help no, I'm not. <laughs> I wanted to go I, back We're going to get there, point. but I do want to ask you guys this question about just this series, like a moral question. And I was kind of prodding you with this on the X space, but, you know, Brendan Dassey is the second person who's spending life in prison. He was 16 years old. His uncle kind of coaxed him into this crime. And it's interesting that even the people that believe that Stephen Avery is guilty have this soft spot for Brendan Dassey. Now, I'd just like to say, she was raped by both men. She was stabbed. She was shot. She was set on fire. This is a 22-year-old woman with her entire life ahead of her. What is your opinion when a youth is involved in a crime? Because they kind of have been like, well, it's just sad. Even the reporters that are involved in the case that he's spending the rest of his life in prison. And I just think when I was 16, there was no person that could have coaxed me into doing yeah. all of these things to uh, a person. So do we just say, oh yeah, he should be out because his uncle, you know, coerced him or not coerced him, but, you know, manipulated yeah, him? It doesn't, here's, what, what's the other option? Because I think everyone would agree that, I hope everyone would agree that you can't do nothing. You can't just let him, he, 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 he murdered and raped someone, so you can't just let him go. The other option is to what? To send him to prison, let him kind of like marinate in that environment with a bunch of other psycho killers for, five or 10 years, and then release them back into society. So uh, that's, that's not a tenable option. It's not justice. It's also not safe for society. So really, that's, I kind of feel the same way about the, uh, you know, when people cry, uh, you know, plead insanity. It's like, well, even if that is the reason that you did this horrible thing, you still did it. Right. And, uh, and if you are not capable of understanding that you shouldn't behave that way, that's all the more reason to keep you segregated from society for the rest think, of your life. I do life. think in a perfect world there would be a health care. I mean, he was the one thing in that documentary. I'm, I'm like a total hard ass about these things. The minute I see the documentary girl come on and say, well, we, we just wanted to explore if this person, I think he's guilty, go away, <laughs> go home. <you> know? <laughs> but, the, but the one thing that tweaked some dead spark of compassion in me was the fact that he seemed to be retarded. He seemed to be a, a little mentally ill. And in a perfect world, there would be some, you know, like in the movie Halloween, some place where you could put in, insane people. But there's just not. That's the perfect world, But he world, wasn't Halloween. mentally retarded. <laughs> he is stupid, but all criminals, to some degree, are very stupid. I mean, criminal is not like a high IQ no. population. No, 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 no. Get away with these IQ. things, right? Gen generally, there are... I think that a lot of this also has to do with our society's weird perspectives on when people are responsible for their actions based on age. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, we'll, we'll say that a 16-year-old boy can say that he's a girl and we'll immediately start feeding him <laughs> full of hormones. Or we'll say that a 16-year-old girl can get an abortion and suddenly that's that's her choice. But if a 16-year-old boy rapes and murders someone, then all of a sudden it's like, well, that, that is an innocent child. How, how dare you? And, you know, this is something that that is relatively newfangled, honestly. Like, it's even if you go back to the 1950s, in, in the United States, the notion that a 16-year-old who did this would not be tried and convicted as an adult would have been insane. Because yeah. the idea would have been, you're an adult. I mean, if, if you're 16, that used to... Now, we've got 25-year-olds and 30-year-olds now who aren't adults. I mean, the, the sort of reversion to, to childhood, I think, for a lot of adults is one of the reasons why they're freaking out about this sort of thing. And, and again, it, it's, it's incredibly variable. It's like, well, we basically, we hold you responsible for certain things, but not responsible for other things. At 18, you're allowed to join the military, but if it's an 18-year-old who, who commits a crime, then he's a boy just in his youth, and how could a cop shoot him if he's committing a crime? So true. It, it, it's, it's bizarre. Mm -hmm. Now, 
when you are responsible for lighting your charcoal grill, what do you guys do? <laughs> do you do you shirk that and put it off on someone else, or do you go Can grab? You that at I set a cat That's on fire. fire. At Maybe you grab your grill blazer. Okay, you've heard me. You've heard me talk a lot about one of my favorite sponsors, Grill Blazer. Uh, one of our favorite things about it is uh, the many creative ways that you can use it. Matt Walsh uses his to heat up the campfire in his backyard. Brett Cooper uses hers to light her charcoal grill. The grill blazer can light any campfire in just a matter of seconds. I personally love lighting up a nice fat stogie with my grill blazer. Uh, This puts any normal boring lighter to shame. Within seconds, I can be enjoying a nice juicy cigar. Grill blazers grill guns are designed to do everything from expertly searing your meats to fighting charcoal grills, wood stoves, outdoor fireplaces, and just about anything you can think of with that high power fire to solve your problem. Grill Blazers offers two types of grill guns. There is the Grill Gun Basic, that's a high power propane torch designed to light charcoal and wood grills and smokers. Burns up to uh, 3,600 degrees. Its 30 inch flame is uh, for anything that you need big bad torch to do. And then there is the sous vide gun. I'm going to point sort of in Mr. <laughs> Shapiro's Drews. Does this time come? No, you know what? I think I'm going to point my sous vide gun at the uh, brand new pumpkin spice candle available at dailywire.com slash shop in my section. And uh, here we go. <laughs> what is the temperature at which glass melts? Do we like know? This temperature. Right is there. that one? Are we, are we? These candles are incredibly flame resistant. <laughs> wow. No, well, he's got it a little is. smoky. That was, that was an experiment. Please don't get a job on KBC. <laughs> As an experiment. Mm. As you anyway. Can see, fire emerges from it. <laughs> yeah, you can see. That wasn't even the full speed, by the way. Uh, this is the sous vide gun shorter barrel, perfect for professional culinary kitchen uses, from gently carmonizing brulee to uh, exploding my candle. Make sure you head on over right now to Grill Gun and Grill Blazers today. Let your adventures begin. Go to grillblazer.com slash backstage. Use promo code backstage. For 15, 1-5% off your order, grillblazer.com slash backstage, promo code backstage for 15% off your order. I just want to say you guys... Your incompetence knows no bounds. I couldn't get <laughs> that thing to light. Wasn't that crazy? <laughs> light a candle with a flame. I tried. <laughs> what in the world? Do you know why? And they <laughs> practiced that. I, they did. I did it like a dozen <laughs> times. Do you know why? It's because the Michael Knowles pumpkin spice candle is just such high quality wax. <laughs> that is going to hold up for a long time. Now, speaking of... It's such a high quality candle that it doesn't light. It doesn't light. You can't light it on. Just for pretty. It'll last forever. Speaking so of convicting people of things, did you see... The House Republicans are looking into impeaching Mr. Joe Biden. Uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy just announced it today. Uh, he says that they've got a lot of juicy dirt on him. And so uh, they've got serious, credible allegations into Biden's conduct that will serve as the basis of an impeachment inquiry. Just very quickly, there's not a ton to say about this because we impeach every president now. You know, it's not exactly... <laughs> multiple uh, times. M- multiple times if we can. <laughs> uh, is this smart or stupid for the Republicans to do? Well, I mean... There's a question for McCarthy, and then there's a question for Republicans more broadly. So it's not stupid to, to push an impeachment of, of Biden unless you can't get the votes on the Republican side. Then it's stupid. Right? This is the real danger. The real danger is you bring it up for a vote, and you actually don't get a majority, even with a Republican majority. That's your real danger, because then you look foolish, and you look like vindictive. Like Democrats got all their people on side. I'm not sure the Republicans are going to get all their people on side. What McCarthy did here was he was being held hostage by a group. First of all, can I just put this out there? Legally speaking, the term impeachment inquiry doesn't mean anything. It doesn't grant you any extra serious legal power. You already have subpoena power in the Congress. 
Do I have the power to compel testimony, theoretically? So it doesn't add anything. It's just like a thing you say. It's, it's, it's the equivalent of Michael Scott saying, I declare bankruptcy. That's really what it is. It's like, now we officially have an impeachment inquiry, and the media's like, breaking news, impeachment inquiry. If you want to impeach the guy, just impeach the guy. But the, the, the reality is that, you know, the, I think that what happened here is that McCarthy was getting pressure from his right flank on the budget deal. And he said, okay, fine. I'm going to do the impeachment inquiry. He doesn't actually have the votes to open the impeachment inquiry, which is why he did it without a vote. If he could have done it with a vote, he would have done it with a vote. He didn't have the votes. So he simply declared without a vote that there would be no impeachment inquiry. Also, that's what Pelosi did. That's Pelosi did it. So he he can certainly get away with that. It's a smart political move on his part. My generalized feeling about, quote unquote, impeachment inquiries is like everybody knows the story. So either impeach the guy or don't impeach the guy. Hmm. Like that's I don't know what an inquiry is going to do at this point other than theoretically possibly if there's not impeachment at the end of the inquiry, it's a giant fail. Right. So but, why, why would you why would you light that candle? <laughs> it's not going to burn. It doesn't make any sense to me. Where there's smoke, sometimes there isn't fire. Right. Now, <laughs> it, it, is it possible that in this inquiry they could get more proof? Because I don't know what more proof you need. I'll be honest with you. Like I, I'm, I'm sick of hearing that there's no evidence and there's no proof. It's absurd. There's a full-on text from Hunter Biden to his daughter talking about paying half of his dad's bills. We know that he went around to a bevy of countries and collected $20 million in checks on behalf of various causes. We know that Joe Biden has been trafficking using his name since he was 30 years old in the United States Senate. I mean, all of this is like well-documented. Yep. He was using his connections in Delaware to get MBNA to hire to hire Hunter. He was, he was trafficking with unions back in his early days in Delaware. I mean, the guy's corrupt as the day is long. The they used that, to call him the senator from MBNA. That's right. <laughs> from this bank in Delaware. He, he literally was calling into meetings with his son. Like, I, I'm not sure what else you would need if you want to hit him on a corruption charge. And this is the thing that I am concerned about, is I don't know that they're going to actually have another shoe to drop. Because here's the thing. Let's say that you're Joe Biden. Do you actually need the money coming into your bank account personally? Right. I, I doubt it. If it comes into Hunter's bank account and then Hunter is living at your house and Hunter just buys a car and then you use the car sometimes. Or let's, I mean, we all have kids. So, you know, if if you were bribing me theoretically by giving my kid a job, that is a form of bribery to me. I would think. Yeah. Right. Like that's a, that that is that is a form of payment. Of course, I, I think, especially if he's a derelict, <laughs> like, like Hunter <laughs> Biden, who's like literally one of the worst people alive, like who unemployable, drug addicted, prostitute abusing piece of garbage, <laughs> and like you're getting a multi million dollar, like that is a bribe, yeah. is it not? See, I, I think Ben's take on this is highly moral and ethical, and that's why I disagree with it. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think this is a good political move, both for McCarthy and for the Republicans. The FBI are using this ongoing investigation dodge. They're not investigating Hunter Biden. They're just stalling until the statute of limitations runs out. And so they're using this ongoing investigation dodge as a reason why they can't answer questions in a timely manner. If they say it's a, an impeachment inquiry, it doesn't have a, any legal weight. But just in terms of the, of the media, just in terms of the way it sounds, it sounds more important if the FBI says, well, we can't give you information. So, well, this is, a, you know, an impeachment inquiry. I think that's a good idea. And even if it doesn't result in impeachment, you can drag this out forever. And I think that that's basically the plan. The plan is to just keep this going until and unless they can get the votes to actually. What, I, what uh, I'm afraid of, I, I am concerned that there are going to be like five to ten Republicans who are just yeah. not going to get on board with it. Yeah. And then he's Could not going to have a majority of his. You know, he yeah, like, it just won't go through. Yeah. And if that fails in the House, that's actually a real black eye for him. Yeah, now, but he can just keep the inquiry going for a long time. So if the inquiry keeps going, then I saw this suggested by a somewhat prominent conservative today. Do, do you think there is any chance that Joe Biden, who is a million years old, who can't pronounce his own name, that he, who, who does seem vulnerable to certain corruption charges if the DOJ would ever bring them, would he step aside? Say it's for help. <laughs> no. Okay, all right. That was my answer. No too. way. Yeah. All right. You mean out of honor? You mean is that, is that, is that the joke? I mean, is that the punchline? <laughs> what, if, what if he did it? What if he said, "Well, it's because uh, my health is 
so, uh, declining enough. He that can't. I'm not he can't step aside. He's been in public office his whole life. He can't. He can't let go of it. I mean, th- this yeah. is the story of the country. Right? I agree. That's what we've got. This gerontocracy running us into the ground by this, these old, ancient, decrepit zombies who cannot let go of power. I mean, the boomer generation. I take this person. Has he's just pre-boomer. <laughs> he's pre-boomer. Right, he's pre-boomer. Yeah, he's pre-boomer. But but I mean, but you know, you've That's got. Quoted di- that Pony di- Soldier movie. That's from 1952. He was yeah. 10 years old when that happened. <laughs> he was 10 years old. And you've got, you know, I wasn't born when that movie. That's insane. Nancy Nancy Pelosi just announced she's running for re-election. Dianne Feinstein. I mean, it, it's John Fetterman isn't old, but he is like a, a cucumber. So it's 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 the same. It's this uh, same story, which is why I, not to move away from the impeachment thing, but I, I'm actually I don't know if, where you guys all stand on this, but to me it's it's so obvious that if we were a serious country, we would be talking about and enacting age limits on the presidency. I can't see really any argument. I am yeah. I am opposed to age limits on of any public are. office. The, the age limit is the ballot box. Seventy five years old. So you've got from thirty five to seventy five. You have forty years to get it done. You can't get it done in forty years. It wasn't meant for you. Go home, Gramps. Sit on the on it. I'm with you. Fortunate. Yeah. You know the Senate. The, the word I Senate see, comes what's from the Senate. Downside? What's the downside? What's the downside to saying we're putting the cutoff at seventy five? I mean, there's some actual people who are alive at seventy five. I mean, like like Joe Biden. You have to be not. dead. You know. Yeah. I mean, like, like not, not to not to not to you know. I'm known for my great and abiding support for President Trump. But I mean, like, <laughs> President Trump is more alive by yeah, a long time than, than Joe yeah. Biden. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's but the same do, Ronald Reagan guy he's always been. 30 years ago. I mean, like, <laughs> so you think it would, would, would it be harmful to the country to say we don't want people after 75 running for the most important? I think that what that but, really speaks to, and this is just true of our politics in general, is that the voters suck. Okay, let's be honest. They do, it. which it's is like, why we need to put protections in place. <laughs> to, to accommodate for the, the voters, you're, you're, voter. you're asking the voters to vote for them, not to, to put limits on themselves. When has this ever worked? Like, when, when, when has this been a thing that, that has happened? Well, I'm not saying it would happen. I'm saying that it absolutely should happen. It sounds like you guys think that it shouldn't. I mean, to me, yeah, it's, it's just, look, here's the other thing. After 80, your chance of getting dementia is that like, once you hit 80, your chance is like 20%. Or something. It's, it's, you know, and, then, and then it goes up and up and up from there. So it, basically, by the time you get to 85, almost everybody has at least a little bit of dementia. Uh, and Drew, tell me. Yeah, no, it's... So, uh, what? <laughs> what? Where am I? Who's I Drew? Very much who, who yes, is 75 is fine. It, I, mean, I, I don't see anything that could be... There's no downside to saying you have to run between 35 and 75. I, I and if we have a lower age, we have a lower age limit, why not an upper? Yeah. If we're saying... That, I would rather there be 30-year-olds exactly. for a president yeah. than to have 80-year-olds. Oh, I, I totally disagree. Have you met 30-year-olds? Yeah. Hold on. Right now, have, the 30-year-olds are the millennials. Now 80-year-old than a normal 30-year-old in this country right now. <laughs> really? I, I, Honest I, I, to God. Have you met a lot of 30-year-olds in this country? Have you met a lot of the 80-year-olds running? Well, so we have a 38-year-old running for president right now, and he's doing a lot better than people thought he would, but he's just, the voters aren't picking him. They're picking Trump over The other thing is when you're 80 years old, you, you almost, you probably have dementia, uh, all kinds of, you know, your chance of having, you almost definitely have some kind of cancer, like all these things have, but also you're, you're not going to be in the country that you are leading for very long. You're at the end of the road for you. Mm. And so whatever you do as a president, you aren't going to have to be around uh, to uh, deal with any of the consequences of that. That makes me very uncomfortable. At least when someone's 30, they're going to have to live in this country for a long time afterwards. They've got some skin in the game. Joe Biden has nothing in the He doesn't even have his mind in the game anymore. He's got nothing in the game. And I want to say Trump out. is an exception, not the rule. Like, Trump never drank his entire life, and that's yeah. part of the reason why there's no mental deterioration there. You are right. He's he's on it. He had a lot of energy throughout the four years he was in office, but he is very much the exception, not the rule. Joe Biden is the rule. Right. He, right? When you get to that age. comprised of actual preservatives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> right. Exactly. He's like, he's like a French fry of a human. It's I mean, like it literally is defying life expectancy to say that above, you know, 75 people should be able to run. I just, just another rule we don't need. I, uh, yeah, I, I guess. I agree with you about but the we do. We, we need rules. We need tons of rules. Okay, so can I ask you, why not? Not a rule what problem. would you prefer? Okay, so let me ask you this. Problem. Let's assume that we need a rule. That's fine. 
what would you prefer? A competency test at any age or an age test? Well, I'll take the competency test. I'd like to do both. There are doctors they bring in that say that Joe Biden's fine. No, like yeah. a public competency <laughs> test. First of all, it would make amazing TV. Like a public competency <laughs> test. Like you put them Who on decides TV. With the comp- public, okay. public competency test. Who decides test. on the Who got test? Me? Who decides Do- on Dr. Fauci. The ministers <laughs> and Dr. Burks. And, right. It, it would be like spell cat. <laughs> but do I mean, guess the, the real question here is: Do we really believe that the, the problem afflicting the country no. is that the people have too much say over the direction no, and, of and things? Also, and also, well, this, is not, this is not a rule problem. This is a cultural problem. The fact that we can't get past the boomers and we can't. You know, we had we had uh, Obama, and yeah. it was such a disaster that everybody's like, "Well, let's go back to those boomers." But after a while, you run out of boomers, you know. And I think we've kind of reached that point. This is it's, this is actually there's actually a problem with new ideas coming into the culture. There's you know, it's it's shut down. There's so much information flowing, but nobody knows what's true anymore. And so there's no ideas that anybody is actually talking about that are serious. You know progress from where we were before. Honestly, I also think that the senility attack on Biden is like the least problematic thing about Joe Biden. Right, right. Like, I would prefer that Joe Biden continue to stumble into walls. That's fine. I I, I honestly don't care about that. Like, the the fact that he's senile, yeah, it's shameful on the world stage, but, I mean, Bill Clinton was, you know, shaming (laughs) the world and uh, shaming our country in a different way back in the 90s. Like, to to me, the problem with with Joe Biden is that he's a horrifically bad president promoting incredibly bad policies, and he's deeply corrupt. And by the way, I think that the, the, the senility attack by Republicans is actually not going to play. The reason I think it's going to not play is because if the matchup is between Trump and Biden, which it seems like almost guaranteed it will be, if that's the matchup, Biden will just hide in the basement the whole time. And he will run the same campaign as last time. I'm a dead person. I'm an unthreatening dead person. COVID's Here's, back and it's bigger than ever. Yeah, they're doing COVID do that. All he has to say, and this time, all he has to say is, I'm not going to debate an insurrectionist. Right? That's the crap that well, he I, I don't think that's right. true. I think, I mean, all the polls show that Probably the, the attack that works the best on Biden right now is age. Even a lot of Democrats agree with that. No, but they agree with it, but that's not going to stop them from voting for him. Yeah. Then what, what, no, so the, the, this is, the, the truth is, I mean, so when you look at the polls that are extremely even right now between Trump and, and Biden, there are two stats that I'm a little suspicious of in the polls, and I don't want to, like, poll read a year and a half out, but I'm going to do it anyway. So here's the, <laughs> here's, here's the two stats that bother me about the polls. One is the suggestion that Biden is only going to win something like 54% of the minority vote. I don't see how that's true. No, I just, I, I can't I see how that's true. Yep. I think that that number is much more like 62, 63%, mainly because that's been the number pretty much forever. And a stretch of that magnitude would be very, very large. And Trump really outperformed among minorities. I don't think he's going to outperform to the tune of 45% of minorities. That's one. A- the other one is that there's a massive the enthusiasm gap right now in all of these polls that they're measuring. And then that enthusiasm gap is like in the last CNN poll that was really bad for him. It was 71% of Republicans saying they were highly motivated and 60 to vote and 61% of Democrats saying that they were highly motivated to vote. Well, I don't believe that either. And the reason I don't believe that is because Donald Trump is amazing at two things. One, getting out Republican votes, amazing at it. And two, getting out Democratic votes, absolutely unbelievable at it. Like he's really good at those hmm. two things. Democrats are not enthusiastic to vote for this old bag, but we used to live in California and I promise you, Democrats will crawl over broken glass to vote and, for and, Trump. And then there's, also the, fact, there's yeah. also the 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 indictments and the trials, which are going to have no effect on Trump's base. If they may bring out more people in Trump's base, but they're going to completely obliterate any independence. Those polls, you think? The same poll yes. that shows them tied has him down among independents 47-38. I just don't see how yeah. that lines up. Yeah. But, but, but the— Listen, he could still win, obviously. The— uh, I mean, look, every, uh, I think all social science is bunk, but I cite it when it underscores my point. And it, when it comes to the prosecutions, 
the majority of Americans believe that the prosecutions are politically motivated and unjust. So that uh, <laughs> presumably includes a lot of independents and even some Democrats, right? It's, it's something like over 60%. I mean, what polls are you citing? The same, the, those same polls will suggest that a majority of Americans wish for Trump to be prosecuted. Yeah, I, look, I, I'm, I'm not saying that there isn't a uh, contradiction within these things, but like the, the fact that you can get people overwhelmingly agreeing with something that we all know to be true, which is that this is politically motivated, this shouldn't be happening, it is a rigging of the game. I don't know that we could predict a year, over like a they're year They're saying out. two things simultaneously. They're saying right. it's politically motivated and also we want to be prosecuted. Yeah, yeah. Not great. And basically what you have right now is both parties locked in the predator meme, mm-hmm. and the thing that they agree on is that there's no way we're going to lose to the other guy. Yeah, yeah. And one of them is going to be wrong. Yeah. But, plus, and it's going to be a disaster when that happens, It says honestly. something about the system that nobody wants this match, rematch. Nobody wants this election. And that's exactly what we're going to get. And it's what, it, right now, it looks like what we're going to get. Yeah. What, I, I guess there's just no alternative to that. So uh, do we all say that right now it look, it's just going to be Trump? He's up by 30 points. More. I'm the only person who thinks it's, it's simply to, look. Obviously, it looks like that's what it's yeah. going to be. But I still think there's many a slip between the cup and the lip, and it's really early still. And we still haven't seen what the donors will do around Thanksgiving. I don't know. Mm. I don't think the donors matter, but I do think that in order to knock Trump out, you're going to have to knock him out, obviously, extremely early. So everybody's focusing in on Iowa, and they're forgetting that like a bunch of Republican candidates yeah, won like Iowa who ended up winning yeah. the presidency, obviously. That, Iowa that, hasn't decided the nominee since 2000. That's right. And, and New Hampshire only decided really McCain and Romney. Yep. Um, and um, and so it's really South Carolina, which is sort of the make or break state. And right now that's lining up perfectly for Trump yep. because you've got Nikki and Tim who are both in the race, both of whom will draw some support and Ron who's in the race. So, I mean, right now that looks like a, a crab pot for everybody who's not named Trump. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the only thing that could change is if a bunch of these challengers drop out, which just isn't going to happen, right? I mean, and even so, a bunch yeah. of the challengers drop out, but Trump nationally is like at 59% or some ahead. insane number, you know, and even in all these states, he's still up 20%. Look, nobody, nobody, the truth is, nobody except for Vivek is running a good campaign. Yeah. And, and Vivek is running a good campaign because he's doing the things that a campaigner is supposed to do. He's going to everyone. He's talking to everybody. I don't like a lot of the things he's saying. I think that he's flip-flopping on a bunch of issues, but I'm not sure that matters anymore. So, I mean, in terms of who has the energy and who's out there, like, just in terms of, he's not going to be the nominee. I, I'm willing to bet money on it. I like Vivek personally. That's fine. I don't even think, frankly, that he's running for the presidency. I think he's running for the vice presidency or Senate from Ohio. That's all fine. Or maybe he's running for the podcast that he just, oh, that's fine. He's allowed to do any, any of those things. But in terms of everybody else running campaign, they're all doing unbelievably crappy jobs. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I really like Tim Scott. You know, he's been out talking about his girlfriend that goes to another high school. Okay. Yeah, yeah. High <laughs> school from Canada. Canada, Canada, Canada. yeah. Canada. <laughs> what, you know, look, I'm not making any claims about whether or not Tim Scott has this girlfriend he talks about. But I will tell you, it is much more believable than the notion that Cory Booker is dating that Rosario Dawson. That, like, still kills me. He cast an he actual actress cast to an be. actress, a lesbian actress to be. Did you see them when they kissed? When they, like, everyone was like, give her a kiss. And they were like, like I really don't want to do this. And they were like, <laughs> and then, like, like nobody Scott mentioned and, it. And it was, Oscar honestly, <laughs> that kiss should be shown. It was incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, and, and she's like, a lesbian and there's more sensuality not, kissing I, your grandmother than that more, more or less believable Rosario than person. Obama and that weird guy that Tucker interviewed oh <laughs> my gosh it was it was his boyfriend yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah okay <laughs> that's great so uh, speaking of odd incidents that took place uh, kind of a weak segue wasn't it it's a little bit weak uh, this is actually a very sad story but it's sad for like five different reasons you saw that young woman she was a pregnant young woman I think 21 years old yeah. Takiya Young who died because she was in a car, gets pulled over by the cops. The cops say, hey, stop driving, and then she just starts driving and they shoot her? She wasn't pulled over by the cops. She had just robbed a grocery store. 
and uh, or a store of some description, shoplifting. shoplifting. Um, and she heard multiple people, and the, they called the police because we even have a clip of the shoplifting. Do. Yeah, when you're when somebody is shoplifting, oh, it looks like is that a liquor store? What is? Well, she's six months pregnant. pregnant. She's pregnant. pregnant. Shoplifting alcohol is a a good move. Shoplifting, yeah, liquor. All of this is obviously good decision making. I say this as someone who has nine weeks left of my own pregnancy here. So this is just stunning to me, like all the decision making that's happening here. And she, they called the cops, which is what you're supposed to do. And the cops are supposed to come. And she got into her car. They told her to stop. She essentially just started blaming other people, saying, ah, the other person was stealing, the other person was stealing. And then she made off in her car and could have killed the officers because it's a vehicle, <laughs> it's a uh, car. And they told her to stop, told her to stop, she didn't stop. And so when they finally pull her, I mean, started running she, them she's over. in the parking lot. She's, and we have, we have body cam footage. It's amazing how much footage we have of this entire yeah. incident. Right. And so there, there's not a ton of ambiguity here. I think we have, we have the, the clip. 1828. Get out of the car. Then, then get out. No, then get out. Get out of the car. 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 Shots fired. Shots fired. Stop the car. Stop. Stop. Stop the car. Oh, my God. Come on. This rule number one. Yeah. When they really. tell you to get out of the yeah, car, car and they have a gun pointed in your face, get out of the car. I, I will say that the, the police, the that, that cop did screw up, as far as I understand police procedure, in... When you've got a suspect who might flee, you don't stand in front of the vehicle. Like, that is not proper police procedure. That's a very stupid thing to do, to, st- to use your body to block in a car. Uh, maybe if you're in your police cruiser, but not your body. So that's, that was not the right thing for him to do for, his own, for the sake of his own self-preservation. But once she starts driving into him, she is wielding a lethal weapon. He has every right to defend himself. And that's why, with, with all these cases, you know, this is the next BLM martyr. And um, we always talk about systemic racism and all this nonsense. And Black Lives Matter, you know, they're, they're marching the street, chanting Black Lives Matter again. But, you know, the person who needs that message is Takia Young herself. Like, you know, why don't you value your own life enough and the life of your unborn child enough to, to, make, to make just a, a reasonable decision? Like, once the cops are there, there, there is no way that running is going to make your situation any better. It, it automatically— it's, so it's, it's also self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like, you, you tell people enough that if the, the cops are going to murder them, and then they get in a situation with the cops, and then they do things that cause the cops to kill them. Yeah. Right? If you keep telling people over and over and over, over and over, that no matter what you do, no matter what you do, the end of this is the cop is going to shoot you. And you're in a car, and a cop is pointing a gun at you, and you've been told it doesn't matter what you do next, the cop is going to shoot you. Well, I can either be out of the car and the cop can shoot me, or I can be in the car and the cop can shoot me. And so you're in the car, and you decide to, to take a shot at it. I mean, like, again, these lies actually have consequences. The cops were not going to shoot her. If she got out of the car, she would be alive right now. What I can't, I actually, go ahead. What, what I can't get over is the liquor store part. Forget about the, we see this, someone gets pulled over and then they act like an idiot and then they do everything wrong and then they get into this dangerous situation. I can't get over the liquor store. How many wrong turns did this woman have to make in her life to get to the point where she is robbing a liquor store? By the way, not just, you know, a a bottle of wine to have with a loaf of bread to feed her family. Like she's putting bottles of hard liquor into her bag while she's six months pregnant. How many how many bad choices, how many bad lessons, how many things went wrong? And then, I don't want to sound like the bleeding heart liberal here, though, but in a way, society must have failed this woman. To, oh, to, so to, society has failed everybody when, they pull, when the authorities pull their support from the police. Yes. 
you've got people out in the street doing all kinds of things that, that basically the authorities, the government, is saying, well, that's not really a crime. Basically saying that the honest people deserve what they're getting. Yes. That, that, that the society is so evil, inherently evil, that if somebody's robbing you, it's probably... Th- there's that line in The Crown in the, about the monarchy where it's the head of the household in the palace. He says, it's in the little things that the rot begins. And I think every little lesson, every little wrong thing this woman ever did that where she got off the hook, where they said, oh, we're not going to prosecute that. We're not going to punish you. We're not going to teach you the right way to behave. All of those little tiny things over time get to the point where you're just robbing a liquor store and running over cops. Before, before we get to society, though, it, 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 you know, it, on a smaller scale, it's her family who failed her. That's why every time, again, yeah. with the BLM martyrs, the family comes out and they're and they're crying tears and they're upset and I believe that they're actually upset but at the same time I always have to think to myself you know wh- where were you in this person's life uh, how did they end up in this situation when was the last time you talked to this right person? exactly where's where's the you know, the dad comes out of the woodwork sometimes I don't know if he has in this case but uh, where's the dad been and, you know, we, we could pretty much guarantee she didn't have a dad at home we already know that without even looking into biography so it's it's but the family I wanted record. to say that you know in in some instances people look at these situations and you think okay well she's operating out of fear she's got a gun and maybe that's why she no that's not what's happening here and I want to be very clear this woman knew from start to finish that she was committing a crime because of BLM, because of George Floyd, which is why you see in so many of these circumstances, they're saying, Mm. George Floyd, George Floyd, hands up. They're saying these things because they're thinking no police officer, especially a white police officer, is going to have audacity to do anything else. This is all just meaningless threats because we actually hold the power now in post-BLM America. And in most circumstances, they're right. Police officers are afraid to do their jobs because they're fearful of being called racist. What she's suffering from is the arrogance that has transcended the black community since BLM and George Floyd, where we we now think we don't have to listen to police officers at all. We don't have to listen anymore. We're, We're officially above the law because we have been told by culture. We've been told by corporations. We literally ran in there, robbed the target, and the CEO said, we understand, right? Yeah. We understand why you took these flat screen TVs. We, we ran in and we took Gucci. We did this. And literally, the media and the politicians were saying, we understand, okay? So she's been raised in this generation that says that even when you're committing a crime in broad daylight, the task is for people to be understanding, Right? So yes, is she a is she a victim of media warping her brain and making her believe that she's above the law? Yes. Is she a victim of her own stupidity? Yes. Is that the saddest part about this? Obviously, is the loss of the innocent life, and it's unthinkable of how selfish and narcissistic, how trashy, how awful of a human being she had to have been to put her unborn child in that circumstance. And I say that as very fired up and close to the end of pregnancy of just thinking of how unbelievably selfish everything that she did was there. Hormones and then surging. To go online and see her trending under the hashtag rest in power. Yeah. It's God, God, absolutely crazy. sickening. You know, and, and the, the news media bears so much responsibility for yep. this. You know, crime, crime obviously is a human problem. There's always going to be crime, but high crime is a policy problem. The people who create policy, who make policy, are to blame for high crime. The cop is the guy at the bottom whose only job is to keep you safe mm-hmm. from the stupid mistakes the politicians mm-hmm. make. And the politicians go to the press and they say, well, it's the cop's fault. The cop is a racist. And the press goes off like a dog chasing yeah. a ball. Uh, to me, that is so shameful. That's the first thing that a, a, a reporter should say is, wait a minute, wait a minute. You made that policy, not yeah. the cop. The cop is suffering from the policy, just like the neighborhood is suffering from the policy. Our media sucks. The one thing, if there's one thing I agree with Donald Trump about 100%, is those people are the enemies of the people. They are just <laughs> not doing their jobs. Speaking of perverse media and ineffective law enforcement, did you see the federal judge in Texas who just <laughs> struck down yes. 
an age verification law to access high-speed, hardcore internet pornography. This is Judge David Ezra, who ruled that HB 1181 is unconstitutional. He issued a preliminary injunction against it, saying the law goes, quote, far beyond the interest of protecting minors. But his problem with it is great. His problem with it is that if government overreach. the government will be able to see you're watching porn, yeah. have a solution for that. Don't watch <laughs> the don't porn. Don't watch porn and you're good. You don't and have the it. other thing about these laws, by the way, is they work because nobody wants to show yeah. his ID when they're looking at porn. The porn people go out of business when they say you've got to prove your age. Yeah. And, the, and the, it's so, this whole thing is so absurd. Now, obviously, like you, Michael, I, I mean, I, I would like to see all porn banned and the porn Period. industry burned to the ground and we dance around its ashes. <laughs> but uh, if we can't, you know, on our way to that, I think obviously age verification laws make a lot of sense. And it's so ridiculous, the objections to it, because in any, uh, literally any other context that you can think of, um, a, a, you know, an age-restricted item, we all agree, we all, there, there's no uh, controversy that you're going to have to check ID. And that includes, you know, uh, alcohol, tobacco products, gambling, whatever. R-rated guns, movies. R-rated yeah. movies. But that also includes physical pornography. You know, I mean, back in the day, they used to have the porn magazines at the gas station. Uh, and, and if they still had those, you know, you go to buy the porn magazines to show ID. And everyone would also agree that if a 10-year-old kid went to a gas station and grabbed the porn magazine and bought it, and the gas station attendant didn't check his ID, that guy should be thrown in prison. And so it's, we, we carve out this exception for online porn specifically and say that there it's some sort of unthinkable <laughs> invasion of privacy. Now, I will say that the one point the judge made in this ruling that is correct is that uh, he said it's, it's a free speech violation, which is ab- absurd. Yeah. He did also make the point that it's effectively useless because the law carved out all these exceptions where like, things like search engines are exempt, which is ridiculous. And people and kids can bypass it by just having you know, a VPN or something like that, which is why. But that's not an argument against having the age verification laws. It's an argument for having them be stronger. And yeah. it's also an argument for having age verification laws that are not just at the website level, but at the device level. Hmm. So there, there need to be laws that every uh, cell phone device that a child has on the device, the device is age protected right. so that they can't access these sites. Because by the way, to your point, Matt, on just burning the porn industry to yeah. the ground. Let's go back to that. Like uh, yes. That yeah. Well, this would do that because every time that one of these laws is passed, an age verification law, Pornhub, uh, MindGeek is the parent company of that, uh, pulls service out of that state. Right. They would rather stop doing business in that entire state than have to comply with stopping kids from looking at their product. Why is that? One, because they know that even grown adult men don't want to admit that they're doing this perverted thing. But two, it's because the porn industry relies on hooking kids, just like any drug dealer on the yeah. street corner. They rely on hooking kids at age 8, 9, 10, 11, and they know that they're going to have a customer for life. I mean, that, that, to, to be fair to the porn industry, I think I've never said <laughs> uh, the, the, there's, there's one other element, which is the legal liability that attaches, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 in the same way that you saw, you know, Facebook take itself offline in certain countries because of you know, sort of laws that, that they had Political to pay particular speech. news providers in, yeah. in a certain way. And they said, well, if I violate that law, then the fine is worth way more to me than, than this. That, that is one of the things that's happening. But good. I mean, the, the, the goal is to bankrupt the, the porn companies. They're yeah. bad. And, and first of all, this entire notion that free speech encompasses pornography in the first place is absurd on its face. It's ridiculous. Uh, Robert Bork, who would have made an excellent Supreme Court justice before he was borked by Joe Biden, one of the worst things that Joe Biden ever did. Uh, Bork, um, yeah, he has an entire article uh, in the 1970s, talking about the extent of the First Amendment. And he says, like, the, the First Amendment 
clearly was aimed at political speech. That is what it is about. It is about political speech. It is about religious speech. You know what? It's not about naked pictures of ladies. <laughs> yeah. Appealing to the about. prurient interest. How many people even know what the word prurient means anymore? <laughs> that was a term that was known in the culture and in the law, and it would distinguish between meaningful speech and artistic speech and just smut to appeal to I'm your also, lower interest. I, I gotta say, I'm also perturbed by the left's sudden interest in free speech when it comes to pornography and complete disinterest in free speech when it comes to the government literally going to social media companies and telling them that they have to shut down searches on COVID, for example. Right. Yeah. Like, that's an amazing thing. For, the for Circuit anyone, Court of Appeals ruled... For anyone who makes the free speech argument with, with porn, I always ask them, okay, you're saying porn is speech. Okay, well, then what is it saying? You know, the, 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 <laughs> the woman who's having sex on camera, what is she saying exactly? What Usually, is, uh, is, is yeah, she trying uh, Well, I didn't... Please don't. I, don't, I didn't need... I didn't wow. need Did I do any more? Yeah, okay, I get well, it. That's, please, I wanna, that's you, enough, thank you. I'm running yeah. for Virginia State Assembly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What, what, message, <laughs> what message is the woman trying to convey? What, what thought is she expressing? Help. You know, what's that? Yeah, help is actually probably oh, the, yeah, the, the, but, the speech. But to Ben's point, Ben's point is important, though, because that is what the left believes. The left believes that your ex, expression of your personality is sexual, it's not political. Right. Yes. Whereas we believe it's actually based on ideas and politics mm. and other cultural ideas, religious ideas. Yeah. But your sex life is kind of minor when it comes to According to the left, here are the things that you can restrict under the First Amendment. Religious speech, because it's offensive to LGBTQ plus divided by sign people. Right. You can restrict quote-unquote hate speech because it might be offensive to people of minority status. Even though some of that stuff is political, you can restrict scientific speech because obviously the science speaks. Yep. What you can't restrict is naked people screwing. Right. right. That, that you absolutely cannot restrict that's in any way because that's the core of you. That's the core of you. That's really the case. You know, the case it's, is it's that it's more that the, the most political part of you is that. Right? It's the thing that I fear the most uh, as just a parent is really understanding what happens when a child is introduced to pornography when they're too young. Destroys it destroys their brain. No, it it, destroys it, the, the pathways are established. There's, there's, it's very hard for them to come back from it. I, I really believe that. And especially for young boys, because biologically they're ticking differently and when they're introduced to sex too young and now I'm having a, a second son. So I think about this all the time and, and how you keep your children away from it when it's so readily available. And we're talking about a big issue. We're talking about, you know, Pornhub and pornography. But as my husband always says, the reason he's not on social media is because it's all porn now. It is it's all, all porn. porn. He's like, you open up Instagram and the first thing you see are ass cheeks, right? Yeah. And it's true. I'm, I'm literally, I've, and I've realized when he said this to me, how desensitized I have become to, it's all softcore porn. I yeah. mean, it's a full frontal of Kim Kardashian. It's right. Emily Rodzikowski. It's every actress that for whatever reason has to be naked. Oh, uh, do you want to buy this Gucci bag? Well, of course, there's a naked model behind it holding it because God forbid she was wearing clothes while she was holding the Gucci bag. We have all become desensitized yeah. to pornography and we're not thinking about how it's impacting children and we're not thinking about how it's, 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 you know, we're suffering every other major ill in society. I just came off doing the whatever podcast for convicting a murderer available on dailywireplus.com <laughs> and having this conversation, sitting down with sex workers, this girl, this 22 year old girl who works in a brothel and is a prostitute, happily a prostitute, every other girl on this panel, only fans. And they're, you know, angry at Matt Walsh for, uh, sharing the video, which I think we have and we might be we talking do, about yeah, very yeah. shortly um, because they think it's aspirational not to get married. They think it's aspir aspirational to have a bunch of sex with multiple men and to hear women talk about that, to yeah. talk women having multiple partners. This is what's really at, at the, the root here. So yeah, we could play whack-a-mole and yes, of course, Pornhub is going to be worse, but now we're dealing with OnlyFans, dealing with social right. media, we're dealing Just with Instagram. celebrities turned into icons like Cardi B talking about her WAP, yes. which you are famous for. I, I am. I'm, my, yes. my version's laps. It is. <laughs> As it were. And it's 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 hard to even fathom how to deal with you all those problems. You saw that they problems. came out with a sequel now. 
They have a sequel song. No, I know. I, I and I can't listen to it just yet because I, I want your it. version dropped first. Oh, yeah. I have to. So now I have to listen to. <laughs> yeah. It. yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. You got to drop your version, here. and then I will respond to both versions and say whose is better. I do. Or wonder. a WAP versus Bongo's problem, in the case may be. <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> it it does make me think. Going back to your point, Drew, this no, and and you said this too, Ben, that the left views us as fundamentally sexual creatures. And I do, I, I often think these social ills, even if people are not conscious of them, have deeper philosophical and theological foundations. For most of the history of our civilization, we've thought that the defining feature of human beings is that we're reasonable. It's our reason. That's what separates us from the animals. And that's Aristotle all the way up to, you know, about 150 years ago. But then Freud comes along it's and Freud, says, yeah. no, it's, we're it, sexual it, and libidinous. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't what Freud was thought he was saying, mm-hmm. but it, was, it is implied in what he says. And I think that, you know, as they say of Nietzsche, you might get the bad luck that somebody takes you seriously. You know, <laughs> right. when, when what he was saying was that this is basically the motivation of mankind and yeah. it, it has tunnels through which it flows. I mean, every, every, generation right, takes, every generation takes the highest level of machine and uses it as a metaphor for the human mind. So yeah. the, in the old days, it was the chariot. Then in, in Freud, it was the steam engine. And now we talk about people being programmed and having hard, being hardwired and all that stuff. But the steam engine idea was that this erotic impulse would come up and the ways in which it was sublimated and the ways in which it was restricted, restricted would set the path of your personality. First of all, that's largely false. What is true and what Freud was right about is that sickness, moral sickness and mental sickness does often show itself in sexual terms hmm. because that's what you are reduced I mean, to when you are reduced to being a slave. Of your not, body. not to get into a, a particularly you know, detailed discussion of Freud, but I think there, there's a case to be made that, that fr- what Freud says about the power of the sexual impulse has roots as old as the Bible. I mean, there, there's nothing new here. Well, I of mean, course. If you, that, and and yeah. so the, the real perversion is when the message that Freud gives, which is you have this deep sexual impulse that is what drives you, but you have a civilizational impulse that must be planted on top of that to sublimate the sexual instinct and use the passion that you would have for the sexual instinct and channel it in good directions. But see, I think when that's removed, that's the falsehood there because under the chariot model that Socrates or Plato used, the, the moral impulse is built in. And Freud did not say that. He basically said society impresses this moral impulse on you and suppresses your native right, but he, but, that, but, he, but he actually pushes it one step back, right? Because then you have to ask where society comes from, right? And yeah, so, but he, and doesn't, so, he doesn't talk he about has, it. He, he has, never distinguishes between a, a moral repression, which I think that... Well, this all, is definitely a huge flaw in Freud, but yeah. he, he thinks there is one. He just never actually establishes well, he, what he, that he is. He believes in it. But right, I mean, clearly. And, and, and that's part of the problem, I think, with most philosophy is that the stuff that's unsaid is as important as the stuff that's said. That's right. I mean, this is true. That's in, right. in, this is why you see, like, reinterpretations of Locke. Where, like, Locke is a secular liberal. And you're like, well, I mean, he really wasn't. He was writing, like, full-on defense. <laughs> he called to ostracize the, the atheists. That, <laughs> right, the, the, stuff that he, the, the stuff that Locke actually is just assuming is in the air around him, but that he never writes yeah. in his treatises on, on government, that's the stuff that actually makes the treatises on government work. But when you remove it from that context, it no longer works. And the same thing yeah. is, is true of Freud. But when, when, you, when you look at, you know, what, there was a young man who at the age of 20 wrote a book called Porn Generation. This came, <laughs> uh, yes, it came out in 2005, and it was all about how the, the attempt to mainstream softcore pornography through advertising and movies, how that was eventually going to corrupt an entire generation of people who are going to be addicted to this stuff. And everyone in the media laughed at this argument. Right. I mean, this was like, of all the books that I've written, this was the one that was most Wait, it was you? It was. <laughs> Hold it was, on. It was. I was 20 years old when I wrote this book. And if you go back and you read it now, it looks pretty prophetic. I mean, I'm talking about how this is everything from Britney Spears being turned from a pop icon for small children 
into effectively a softcore porn star, yeah. which is what they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I mean, there's no escaping this in any populated area, basically, with access to the internet. And you're right. I mean, the, yeah. the threat level to parents right now is the highest that it has ever been because the threat used to be an organized threat of an institution that was going to come and hurt you from the outside and take, take your kid away from you or something. And now the threat's in the house, literally in the house. Well, there, there, it's in your phone. It's, yeah. There's one of my favorite... cartoons. It's, it's everywhere. It's, everywhere. Right. it's very scary. One of my favorite lines from La Rochefoucauld, which I quote frequently, is that hypocrisy is the tribute vice pays to yeah. virtue. So even if there's some guy looking at porn, but he at least says porn is bad, maybe he's a hypocrite, maybe he's just a sinner who fails, but at least he's got that standard. Yep. Yeah. Now, the standard is... You should sell yourself for sex. You should not be married. You should get divorced. You mentioned Emily Radikakowski, <laughs> and she, she just had this viral video in which she encouraged people to get divorced before age 30. So it seems that a lot of ladies are getting divorced before they turn 30. And as someone who got married at 26, has been separated for a little over a year, 32, I have to tell you, I don't think there's anything better. If being in your 20s is the trenches, there is nothing better than being in your 30s, still being hot, maybe having a little bit of your own money, figuring out what you want to do with your life, everything, and having tried that married fantasy and realizing that it's maybe not all it's cracked up to be, and then you've got your whole life still ahead of you. Um, So for all of those people who are stressed or feeling stressed, about that, about being divorced, like it's a, it's, it's good. Congratulations, congratulations. I, she looks I, really happy. Right? I just want to say, if you take, ah! moral, you take your moral guidance from an actress, you get what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> this drives me crazy. This drives me insane. Like seeing women do this, this new culture, the Dink culture, dual income, no kids. Yeah. That's that's spawning up on TikTok. The 29-year-old people tried to pretend was a victim when actually she was attacking people that are are married and have children because it, there was absolutely no reason for her to make that video and talk about children. She could have just said, I got up this morning and made chuchuka, but she wanted to correlate it to the fact that, oh, well, and if you have children, this is not possible for you to be able to do, so don't get married, wink, wink. Hold and, on, I, you mentioned that, Candace. Do we have, yeah, we that should, one we was show, even worse should, than Radikowski. Do we have that lady one. who Matt mercilessly bullied? It's 10.45 a.m. on a Saturday. I'm 29 and single, and I don't have kids yet. Here's what your Saturday morning looks like when you're single at 29 and you don't have a kid running around the house. I didn't rise from my bed until 10.15. Every time I thought, I should probably get up and do something. I thought, why? Nobody's making me. I'm not missing out on anything. I went to Beyonce last night, and I didn't get home until 1 a.m. And I danced and drank my little heart out, and I didn't pay a babysitter to watch my kids as I did that. And I woke up a tad hungover this morning. Morning, which is probably why I was in bed for so long. And I was just scrolling on my phone and I saw a picture of shakshuka and I thought, you know what sounds really good? Maybe I'm going to learn how to make shakshuka today. Because I have no plans and I don't have kids and I don't have a husband and I don't have errands to run. I can go to the grocery store and learn how to make shakshuka. So that's on my agenda today. Also on my agenda, probably a rewatch of some Real Housewives of New York. I'm also doing a rewatch of Normal People on Hulu, which is really spicy and I highly recommend. Weirdly, I'm into this documentary on Netflix about blue zone countries. So I've got a pretty stacked day. Anyway, I say all this to say, whenever I'm hard on myself about why I'm not married and I don't have kids, and I should be further along at 29, almost 30. 
I wouldn't want to do anything else this Saturday. And I know that you can do all these things when you have kids and you're married and I understand, but the effortlessness and ease of my life, just kind of focusing on myself and the shakshuka I want to make or the Beyonce concert I want to go to. Stop the video. Oh, I can't leave. The most no, defensive guys, part. Guys, let's play a drinking game. Every time she says I... <laughs> We'd be sure. Every I, time I, she, she, she says "shut up," we go shoplift from us. Can I say something? As as the bully, can I just say something mm -hmm. about this this lady? First of all, I mean, obviously, I think most people know I got, I got killed. I, I reposted that video. I had my own thought about it. Uh, I think my what my comment was pretty benign. I did call her stupid. You called her stupid. Slightly harsh, but also probably not inaccurate. Uh, I got <laughs> killed over. It. I, first of all, you know, the left and the media, they were like, they said, well, she just wants privacy. Leave her alone. She doesn't want all this attention. And then they, and then they spent, they proceeded to spend the next week talking about her and doing articles about it because they just wanted to respect her privacy. But also, this woman is a burgeoning a TikTok influencer. She has a podcast all about being single and childless and how great it is. Uh, and so I have uh, bullied her. But of course, I've brought about the fate that all TikTok influencers dread by, by giving her a lot of attention. So it's a terrible thing that I did. But I think the, the real point I wanted to make about this that I also made in the, in the tweet was that, you know, aside from the fact that she's promoting this lonely, terrible life, it's also like if you are single and childless, and there are plenty of people who are 29 and 30 single and childless, and maybe they don't want to be, um, do something interesting with your time. You, you do have a lot of time, which, which can be an advantage. So, so I admit that you have a lot more free time if you're, you know, if you're single and childless than I do as someone with six kids. So go out and do something, but instead of doing make something, make a tasty breakfast, not and, structure. Yeah, make a tasty breakfast yeah, and then you. do something, and then do something. <laughs> but it's all—it's just—it's just being a consumer. That's—that's that's one of the big problems mm. with the way but they just, promote this single, being single wow. childless. Is that—is that they say, well, be single and childless, and then devote all your extra time to being a really devoted consumer that's and go to a Beyonce point. concert and watch reality TV. It's just a it's dead life. That. It's worse than that. And this is what drives me crazy. It's I, 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 I. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being 29 and single. And I think that that's what they were trying to say that conservatives are suggesting that you've done something wrong if you're 29 and single. Nothing wrong with being 29 and single. I know tons of people that are 29 and single, people that are 30 and single, people that are 31 and single, whatever. It goes on and on. There's no you know, failure. Maybe you didn't meet the right person. Things can go wrong. I get it. It's a hard society to date in. What's wrong is that what she's suggesting is that you should be a raging narcissist if you are single. There are tons of things that you can do when you're single. You can go hang out with your nieces and your nephews. You can go, uh, you know, offer yourself to help kids that are tutoring at church. There are so many things you can do. She sits down and she basically says, the best part about not having kids is that you can just be a raging narcissist and do everything for yourself and only think about yourself and wake up at 10, 15 or 11, 15, whatever she says, which I just think is loser behavior and think about me, 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 me all day. She speaks to the narcissistic culture that we are living in today. This is my, even though I agree with everything you guys say, every single word, the only thing that I have to say about it is that 90% 95% of people are born into a culture, and that's the culture that they live in. And I do feel in some ways, a woman like this, who just described one of the most empty lives I've ever heard, is a victim in I some totally sense. agree. Uh, you know, she's born into this world. The people sitting around this table are, are by nature, by definition, people who say, well, wait a minute, you told me this, but I'm not sure I believe that. That's not what most people are like. Most people are born into a culture and they live in that culture. And what, what we have done to women and what feminism has done to women mm. is a crime, yeah. you know? And I, I, the, the, my problem with shows like Whatever, even though it's an amusing show and it's entertaining, I'm not attacking it for that reason, but it's like they pick on the, like the last person on the totem pole who's been 
created basically by a culture that has lost, so terribly lost its way, especially in regards to women and what they are, they're supposed to be. In her defense, shakshuk is delicious. Okay, this, <laughs> so let me, so I'm, 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 I've never had it, but it's I like eggs benedict and I like spaghetti, but I don't want to mix it, it, them together. It is, but you need some feta cheese on top. It's is it a breakfast good. dish? What is it? It is a breakfast dish. You can eat it for lunch as well. Yeah. It is effectively a a tomato sauce, like a spicy tomato sauce, like a mapucha, which is the Moroccan term for it. And you and fried eggs on top, and then you can put some like feta cheese on it. it. Does. In my defense, I make breakfast, lunch, and dinner for my husband and kids every single day, and I have, I've got three on the way. Like, I'm sorry, you're poor at time management, and you wake up at ten fifteen. Like, you, I, have can, three, you also you, have the option to have shakshuka so my, and be married so with my, kids. Well, this is certainly so. The, here's my and you problem. can watch reality TV too if you want. Her narcissism <laughs> is a. I mean, you're right that she's a narcissist, but it's reflective. And here's the real problem: the aspiration is wrong. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It is in fact wrong to aspire to this life. It is wrong to aspire to this. It's not, there's nothing wrong with with this is how your life turned out. Yes. There's nothing wrong with you haven't set the preconditions to make a different choice. But to say that we ought as a society to be apathetic about two possible aspirations. One is you're 29, you have a career, you don't have a career, you're married, you have kids. Versus you're 29, your life consists of you stay out till really late watching a Beyonce concert, and then you get up at 10.30 and maybe make shakshuka and then watch like eight hours of TV. Any society that is apathetic between these two choices is a failed society, Mm -hmm. period. A society relies on the idea that the better life, society does have things to say about what a better life looks like. I'm not talking about compulsion, I'm not talking about tyrannical compulsion, but of course, any functional civilization has to rely on the basis that there is such a thing as good versus bad, and good choices versus bad choices. And guess what? A set of good choices is a set of choices that is directed toward a good end. And that good end is you should get married and you should have kids and it is better for you to get married and have kids and it is better for your community for you to get married and have kids. This is a childless society. That's the biggest yeah. thing that you and, see. And also, also I, I think, just to build on your point, there's also, I talk about this all the time and people say to me, well, are you saying that, that everyone is supposed to get married and have kids? And my answer is that most people are supposed to. In fact, most people are called to. It's a responsibility that most of us have. Uh, not everyone, though. Some people are, have a different vocation. Uh, you know, a totally. minority of people. I'm a Jew. I don't have but, to do that. Everyone but, should get married and have kids. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, uh, yeah, there, there are so, there's some people, it, it, will, it just never happened. They try to, and it will never sure. happen. And so, but here's the point. In my view, everybody, every man is called to fatherhood. Every woman is called to motherhood. Absolutely. For most, for 99% probably of men, fatherhood will take the form of, you know, traditional fatherhood. And for women, it will take the form of traditional motherhood. For, for a few people, it'll take a different form, but it has to take some kind of form. So maybe yeah. uh, you never end up getting married and you, and you go and, you, and you, you, you're, uh, you know, you're a missionary or something and, and you're taking care of poor people or you go work at a hospital or something, but you, you take on a maternalistic or paternalistic role. The point is that we're all called to serve in that capacity yeah. in some way. We certainly are not called to just serve ourselves and yeah. amuse ourselves. Well, she, she's even wrong. Shockingly, I agree. You know, I, I tend to share Drew's uh, pity and sympathy for yeah. this lady because she she's coping. She's, a, she's coping she's really, hard. and she's a creation of this. And so, what bothers me is she's she. Our culture is so in, insistent on appearing happy all the time. We're mm-hmm. never allowed to admit, you know, that things aren't working out very well because it would cause us to check our assumptions. But what she says that's most wrong is she said, "Look, I have so much ease in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't have any obligations." Sleeping until 10.30 in the morning is what depressives. That's, that literally and, and seems like a depressed. It is, yeah. And she, But people have studied happiness for some millennia now. And to quote good old Uncle Aristotle again, like Aristotle has an answer. He says, happiness is 
excellent rational activity in accordance with virtue. And activity is the key word there. It's not just a thing that you let happen to you. It's not just passive consumption and letting flickering images on a screen just hypnotize you all day long. It's doing something in an excellent way that's rational in accordance with virtue. And if she's preaching this anti-gospel to a lot of people on TikTok, on her podcast, it, it actually is our responsibility it, to say that's wrong. It's a complete failure of her parents' generation. I'm not even gonna blame her generation or her. It's a complete failure because every generation has to impress on somebody. Parenthood and, and growing up, it is like Plato's cave because you can't experience it until you do it, mm-hmm. right? You have to have somebody from an, from an older generation who did the thing and said, yeah, it was really hard because parenting is difficult. It's really difficult. I mean, I have four, Matt has six. Parenting is not easy. It is a, it is a difficult task. Your kids are pain in the ass on a fairly regular basis. And guess what? It's also the most fulfilling thing and most important <clears throat> thing you'll ever do by a long stretch. And, and it, it makes you a better person. And there is such a thing as a better and a worse person. Not all people are, are the same in terms of their moral quality. I mean, everyone is the same in the eyes of God. That's not the same thing as saying that their activities make them the same in terms of moral quality because they're not. And not every aspiration is the same in terms of moral quality. It's a failure of older generations to inculcate on younger generations that they ought to try to get beyond the point that they are capable of experiencing here. And that does require a leap of faith. You know, this is when, you know, when I got engaged to my wife, I gave a, a little speech at our engagement party talking about how basically anything good that you do in your life is at some level a leap of faith. Right, well, everything, M- marriage being the biggest one, but having kids is, is, is just as big because you don't really know what you're getting into when you get married, because how could you? Because marriage changes you and it changes your wife and it changes both of you in such unbelievable ways over the course of decades that even the first day of marriage is nothing remotely like the 15th year of marriage. And I can assume the 200th year of marriage like true. <laughs> and, and, and when it comes to kids, it's so different. Every single day is wildly different. Parenting a baby is so different from parenting mm-hmm. a three-year-old, which is so different from parenting a nine-year-old, let alone a teenager, let alone an adult child. Every day is an act of faith, and we're a society that is faithless and, and, and not capable of taking the risk. We're a very safe society. What she's talking about here is, is a bubble of safety that exists I, for her in which every day is exactly the same, and no risk is required of you, and no risk can be asked of you, and you're told that your risk-free behavior is actually the best thing that you can do, or at least morally equivalent to taking the risk that preserves future generations and a civilization worth preserving. I, I want to ask Kansas a question because I, I know you, you homeschool your kids, right? Yes. Yeah, so well, this, this, this is the question. I mean, the idea. <laughs> Professor homes- Matt. I'm, I'm assuming that it's Mrs. Walsh who does it because the idea of being homeschooled by Matt is just. Uh, no, <laughs> I, can't, I can't contain it. I wouldn't do that but, to my kids. <laughs> no, yeah. Hit this piece of wood but, with this axe. <laughs> <laughs> but well, what's your solution? Until you understand here? Matt. What, what do you do? Well, that's the thing is we're, we're talking about homeschooling. Yeah. And, and also part of that might be we just send them to Matt's house because he seems to have it under control. There's <laughs> Wait, six of them. We, have, we wouldn't even notice we have so many kids now. Yeah, exactly. If I just threw three more, you would just like, I think maybe kind of. We just absorb them. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's one of these things that why, and also my husband just thinks the American education system in general is a massive failure compared yeah, to, I mean, exactly. it is, which it actually yeah. is relative to, you know, the UK, which still has some semblance of an academic um, yeah. um, culture. culture. And so we talk about this over and over again. It's one of those discussions where we're like, it's crazy that we're even talking about this, but I don't want to have to deal with the fear of some other idiot having a phone and choosing him to pornography. I don't want to have to deal with these young women. And this is why it is so important to respond to these women. It is so important because you are correct. Their generation above them failed them, right? They failed them. They failed to communicate the message. And so we're all left holding the baton. And this is why I hit these people on my podcast over and over again because these cultural ba- cultural battles, they matter. Yeah. It is important to tweet this girl and to say what I said. If you follow this girl's path, you are going to end up 
Wine Nights by Yourself on Xanax, because that is where it ends. It ends as Jewish Chelsea Handler crying and bursting into tears over absolutely nothing and saying, well, Dylan Mulvaney just needs to be able to use this restroom. That's where your life is headed, because you've nurtured nothing, you've fought against your biology, sociology trumped your biology, and you will suffer at the end, because in the end, biology will win. And, you know, I did the Bill Maher podcast last week and we spoke about that and, and what really happens to women when they get duped by feminism, right? Because they get duped. Feminism, I say, is like a drug you should try in college. I did. I experimented a little bit with feminism. I was like, well, I might be feminist like this. And then you're like, no, come on. I can't do this outside of college, right? And, <laughs> never got onto the harder stuff. Yeah, never got into the harder stuff, right? And then if you, but if you keep going, your life is going to be absolute misery. And so it is why I take the time to respond. I mean, Emma Rodgers-Cassie, we just watched her say, there's nothing better Congratulations. Nothing Congratulations on better. failing. Yeah. Pina yeah. colada on the beach? Then no. being divorced before 30. And then, what? On the, on the uh, I think another point that we have to make culturally is that there is a lot of joy to be found, immense joy to be found in parenthood and in family life that just is not available to you if you don't get married and have kids. It's just, it's just a joy. It's not available. So but, 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 but here's the important point. Because you can also be deeply miserable as a parent. You could be, you could be incredibly miserable all the time. So the joy that is available to you as a parent is available. It makes joy available to you, but it's an opportunity for joy, mm. and it's up to you to uh, experience it or not. So, and this comes up in a lot of little ways every day. So, for example, last Saturday uh, morning, I get up. My my wife had to go out, and so I'm with all six kids, and they they want uh, you know they want breakfast, and the babies are crying and all this. And it's one of those moments where right now. I can dwell on the fact that everyone needs me and I can be really, really annoyed and it's in the morning and I don't feel like dealing with it. Or I can think to myself, this is a house full of life. I've got all these kids that, that want to be around me and they all, and it's just, it's just energy and life and it's a wonderful thing. So in that moment, I can, I can really choose. It's, it's like a, it's a fork in the road and it's a very deliberate thing. I'm going to be very indescribably happy in this moment or I'm going to be miserable. And, um, and so that's, so when, when, if you're, if you are childless and you and you look at parents who are miserable all the time and they do exist, um, and you think, well, I don't want that. What you have to realize is that those are parents who have chosen that. And, and yeah. Either way, either way, you're going to be more alive than you would ever be without those. Well, I mean, th there is such a thing as purpose, meaning, and fulfillment, and that's what's left out of that video. I and mean, when she talks about ease, she's not wrong. It's it's very easy to be 29 and <laughs> single with no obligations. That, that's 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 like the. Ease is the word. It's, it's this feeling of ease and floating free of time. And, of course, the biological clock is still ticking. So the reality is that, as you say, Candace, she can pretend that she's going to be 29 forever, but reality, she ain't. Ten years from now, she will be 39. And in 10 years after that, she will be 49. And the and as far as the, the parenting aspect of it, Roy Baumeister is an interesting psychologist and does a lot of the social science on, on these sorts of issues. He did some studies where he looked at you know the crossover between happiness and fulfillment. And in many areas... They, they coincide, right? For, for a lot of people, they get happiness from travel, but they also get fulfillment from travel. The one area where there's wide divergence is when it comes to parenting. When it comes to parenting, <laughs> single people will say very often they are, they'll report self-report, which is always dubious, but they'll self-report happiness. And, and people who, are, who have lots of kids will self-report not being as happy. When it comes to fulfillment, people with kids self-report fulfillment at a far higher rate because the truth is that, who, I mean, who cares about happiness? Yeah. I mean, like, like <laughs> no, to, to be real about true. this, like, right. like everybody is, is chasing the wrong thing. Like the, yeah. the phrase pursuit of happiness was supposed to mean what it meant to Aristotle. It wasn't supposed to mean you feeling happy today. That's not, that's not what happiness <laughs> right. is. I mean, if, if you look at any sort of religious literature, the, 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 the definition of happiness is fundamentally different. 
Yeah. You're supposed to find fulfillment, fulfillment and happiness are coincident. And this is why the Bible, for example, can command you to be happy. And you say, how can I be commanded to, be, to feel a certain way? I can't, I can't be commanded to be happy. Like we have a bunch of holidays that are coming up and you're literally commanded to be happy. It's like, how can I be commanded? What if I don't feel like it? What if I don't feel like I'm happy that day? And the answer is we're not talking about a subjective state of mind. We are talking about the meaning and purpose and fulfillment that come from doing a higher thing that actually matters in the universe and makes the society around you better. Yep. And you can live this sort of bizarre floating life in a, in a, in a sort of strange solipsistic bubble, but is that going to be fulfilling in any way? When you, when you die at 80 and, and, you, and you look at, or 90, and, and you look back at your life, what exactly do you put on your tombstone? Went to Beyonce concert? Like, what exactly, go, what exactly goes yeah. there? You know, one of the miseries that sometimes goes along with marriage is divorce. And one of the real miseries of divorce is custody battles. And one of the biggest miseries of custody battles is when Gavin Newsom tries to take your kid away from you and chop his genitals off, which is what is happening. California may soon require the House and the Senate in California pass this, a uh, bill to allow judges to look at whether a parent goes along with a child's gender identity during custody dis disputes. And presumably what that will mean is if a father doesn't want to call his boy uh, Sally, then he loses visitation. Well, the, he loses the question now is, does Gavin Newsom look like Satan or does Satan look like Gavin mm -hmm. That I think is, this is, this is an evil bill. Very this, evil. Th yes, and, I, and I, I don't know if it's constitutional. I don't know if it'll be struck down. Or if it'll even pass, you know, even get signed. But it is this is genuine evil, you, you, and I think that the the one thing, you know, we were you were talking before about uh, God and the and the faith and all these things and the idea that um, uh, the the notion of who we are. This was what was predicted by guys like Nietzsche, who said there's going to be a transvaluation of all values. Dostoevsky, who said, without God, not only will you not have morality, but you'll have the opposite morality. I think we've reached that point. I think we've actually reached the point where we are doing evil and calling it good, which the Bible has something to say about. You know, people, I, need to, people need to understand that sorry, on this particular bill, the, the, the designs here, there's some obvious designs, but it's also constructed to create more, quote-unquote, trans kids. But what's going to happen is that women who get divorced in California, and there are a lot of women in California getting divorced all the time, uh, they're going to realize that, well, if I want to win custody— very easily, then all I have to do is whisper in my little uh, five-year-old son's ear that he's really a girl, and he'll feel more happy, and mommy will love him more if he wears a dress, and I know that uh, my husband's not going to go along with it, and then boom, I get custody. So th this is, this is, a, this is yeah. very, this is like entrapment, yeah. and it's, mo it's almost all women who do this. That's just the reality, um, and so this is designed to, to create more of that. And we have a this, this uh, representative, Lori Wilson, who introduced the bill, and <laughs> oh, I guess we have that clip. So. We got a clip, yeah. Take it away, Ms. Wilson. That parents affirm their children. They have since the dawn of time. Typically, it happens when their um, gender identity expression matches their biological gender. But what happens is when it doesn't, that's when the affirmation starts to wane. And that's what we're dealing with here. Although it's called the TGI bill, they're not mentioned anywhere in the law. What's mentioned in the law is the child's gender, identity, and expression, and the parent's affirmation of that, whatever it is, because that is our duty as parents to affirm our 
children. Good. He just yeah. sounds so stupid. Yeah. Our, our duty is exactly the opposite. <laughs> right, exactly the opposite. You know how often I, I say no to my kids? Yeah, that's <laughs> all day, every day, forever. Ninety oh percent of what you do as a parent is not affirming your kids. <laughs> like that, that's ninety percent. I told the story. Ninety. You're just at ninety percent. Yeah, well, maybe maybe ninety-five. <laughs> I I just I told the story on my podcast a couple of days ago that just you know on on Sunday my six-year-old son comes to me and says, "Daddy, can I have a saw?" And I say <laughs> I say, "No, you definitely can't." But why? Just out of curiosity. And he wanted to ch- cut down a, a 40-foot tree in our backyard because he wanted wood to build a fort. And so it's like, that's just one example of when I'm not going to affirm my child, but also your, your child has just simply no concept <laughs> of reality, of what's good for him, of what's safe for him. My two-year-old asked me first things more if he could drive the big car. I mean, I don't know. I, I thought that was something appropriate to say no to. Like, I don't think he should actually drive the vehicle <laughs> you away. You horrible, horrible person. How could you? It was, I did not affirm him in his desire to drive the well, car. Uh, what I love is when they say things with confidence, like, since the dawn of time. <laughs> parents have affirmed. Uh, did the dawn of time Madness. happen? Like, well, I need to check yeah. my watch on the <laughs> dawn of time. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm having some feelings about this. Like, it's literally na- They just, like, use it's, the phrase. It's ridiculous. The Name a civilization <laughs> where anyone has ever affirmed their children in any way remotely like this. I'm, no one thinks that, I mean, the Spartans used to affirm their children by leaving them out to die in the wilderness. <laughs> Throwing them like, off a cliff. Like, <laughs> I, I am all for the fight, and I, I'm all for conservatives wielding more power at, than they're used to wielding. But there's an important role in politics, which is you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. And right now, if you are in the state of California... And you are in the kind of marriage. Look, certain groups, they just don't get divorced. The Jews, the Orthodox Jews, the Catholics, there are certain groups that say no divorce under any... If you are in a marriage, though, where divorce is a possibility and you have kids, GTFO right now. <laughs> you just can't risk that. Well, By the way, you stop the sentence you that. if you're in California. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just want to say, that that's actually what I was going to say. I've, I'm done being outraged at these... Democrats in California. Like when I see this, I'm like, whatever. And I'm done feeling sympathetic for people that are in California because they're basically watching North Korea be built slowly. Mm. And it's like, and they have the option to get out, right? And they don't leave. They don't leave. And I just, I don't understand the person. I understand especially, if you're poor or something, but there are plenty of people who are, and by the way, it is the middle but like, of the upper class people. like if you're a parent people. and you, oh you see this stuff and you hear them complaining and people writing on the show and all of these things, and I'm going, you obviously have to leave the state. At what point do you understand that survival instinct kicks in and you say, if we're even kicking this around, the, the, I got to go. The real story of why we, why this company is in Nashville and the reason why my family is in Florida, it actually starts, so 2020 was the year that we moved because of COVID and because of the Black Lives Matter riots and because of all of that. My wife looked at me and finally acquiesced to my determination that we get the hell out of the state. But at least five years prior to that, when our, when our, baby, when our now nine-year-old was a baby, when I turned to her and I said, I do not think that in five years it will be possible to raise our child in the state. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's going to be possible. And I, I look at stuff like this and I wonder, how does anyone think that this is going to be possible? Because they're going, I promise you, the next step, the next thing they're going to do is they're going to start de-accrediting any homeschooling program that does yeah. not affirmatively teach this stuff. They're going to go after the private schools. They're going to say that it's violative of the anti-discrimination law, not to mirror the Title IX prescriptions by Justice Gorsuch that suggest that transgenderism ought to be treated the same as discrimination on the basis of sex. They're going to make it impossible to be a traditional person in the state of California. That is their goal. Yeah, the they, government owns your kids currently if you live in California. There's, there's no question about that. And it's very bizarre to me that parents still stay there. I mean, short of, don't, I literally do not have the financial resources to pick up and move, which would shock me because you're in California and you're just being taxed the financial resources to be able to pick up and move. Um, uh, but short of that excuse, I don't understand the whining and the moaning and the saying that this is, this is really bad and, and refusing to move your feet because this should terrify every parent. There should be way more. There is an exodus happening. 
but I think too slowly for the stuff that we're seeing. And they're even trying to make imaginary walls. You know, if you leave, they're kicking around the idea of taxing people. Ten years oh, yeah. after. Yes. Ten, Ten years, years after. after. That's a, that's a communist even. It's the concept is mind-boggling. You're building an imaginary wall. It does, it does remind you. I, I always hate these comparisons to the Holocaust and to Germany. But it does remind you of those people who escaped and came back and said, you know, they're killing everybody. And, and the Jews were going, no, come on, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, this, you're, you're absolutely right. This is like an absolute nightmare. Just, just the idea that they could consider this with a straight face. That woman, if that's what she was, <laughs> speaking, I, I just thought, like, the minute I see that person, I'm on the next train. I know, you know, I, I had this like thought get me out of California. 20 years ago, when I, 30 years ago, when I'm growing up, and you'd hear these people say America's evil and America's terrible. I said, what are you talking about? We're yeah. the good guys. You're the bad guys. Shut up. This is America. And I feel like I'm in that British sketch. You know, you're looking around and you say, are, are we the baddies that we're like sterilizing children, ripping them away from their fathers, say nothing of killing 800,000 babies a year. And, you know, at a certain point, if the culture really becomes that we're living in the world upside down, where, where everything that's good is considered bad and vice versa, are we the baddies? Yeah. No, well, I know. It's I mean, like, certainly, that the, awful certainly Michael what, Knowles gets thrown off YouTube <laughs> for speaking like basic truth. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a, it, it is a fact that the counterculture is now the dominant culture in the United yes. States. And because culture is defined by the media, it's defined by Hollywood, it's defined by all the things that we watch and ingest kind of by the law in the air, by the air in places like California. And so I don't know how many of you were uh, watching what happened over at Burning Man, which was, which was wildly entertaining for a variety of reasons. But one of the things that's so fascinating about Burning Man is how it went from just a bunch of nuts on a beach to 100,000 people showing up in the middle of the desert every year, including some of the most prominent people in American public life. Suddenly, all these crazy people who are doing stupid things and having drugs and, and, you know, having sex with one another randomly. And worshiping a literal idol, a burning man right. who is the object of worship. So you, you know, they, you know they, I did a whole bit on this on the show, but you know they actually have like a list of their principles of burning man. Yes. And the, and the list of their principles, there are 10 of them, as you would predict if you were going to create, you know, like a, a satanic <laughs> counter to the Ten Commandments. And, the, and, and three of the most crucial are self-expression, right? It, they call it radical self-expression, radical inclusion, and immediacy. Right. Those are three. I mean, that's that's our culture. That's our culture right now. And that is the culture that that is being foisted upon every kid they can get a hold of. It's why it's important for them to make gender queer available to your 10 year old. They want like anybody who's pretending that they are not after the kids. Of course, they're after the kids. Of course, they're after the kids. How do you think they win over the next generation? They're doing the work that conservatives have not done. And that mm. people traditionally have not. When we were talking earlier about how the older generation didn't inculcate in their kids a set of values. And instead, they sort of want libertarians. Like, whatever values you choose, those values are perfectly good and those values are perfectly innocent. Well, the, the left never has that compunction. The left is like, no. we, will, we will cram down our set of values on your child at the first available opportunity. And if you try to stop us, then we will say that you as a parent have failed and we will try to remove the child from you. I mean, th this is, it, it should be terrifying to anybody who's got half you, a brain. You know, if you've ever seen the horror movie, The Wicker Man, have you seen it? I mean, this is basically about a, a, a Christian cop, an uptight Christian cop, who goes to this island of pagan worship because he hears that there's uh, human sacrifice and basically finds out that the human sacrifice is himself. But it ends with this tremendous wicker man burning. It is, it is Burning Man. And, and it's, uh, you, we could sit and talk about that film. If we watch that film, we could sit and talk about it for about three hours as, as it applies to this moment. Because it is the mm -hmm. moment in which this kind of Christian cop is, is annoying and he's 
utterly serious and he's anti-sexual and the pagans are just lovely. They're Free just, love, man. Oh, we love and it's all, yes, the beautiful naked children got, jumping through the fire. Isn't this beautiful? And of course, they're homicidal. <laughs> and we're kind of in this moment where that film has become a, descri- a literal description of our life. I don't what, watch what, scary films. It, yeah, no. I was just going to ask, do you guys actually watch horror films? I don't. You just watch scary news. I'll watch a spooky. Yeah. Film. yeah. You know. I just like I don't. Know, I feel like I've got the eyes of the window to the soul. You just and when I watch series that, about very, a murderer. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's real life. That's real life, and we're living in a real life horror film. When, but when I, don't I watch scary scary movies, I pointed out that this this is just a pagan worship, like a bacchanal, and people. Some people said this was crazy. What do they think ancient cultures did? I think they're just so radically removed and ignorant of history. They don't realize that what the Canaanites were doing was just that. They were doing a bunch of drugs. They were getting very drunk. They were having weird sex with lots of different people and goats and things. And they were worshiping idols. You, and know, they, you can look at all of Jewish history. Seriously, if you read the Bible, you can look at all of Jewish history. God's saying, stop killing children. Yeah. You say, well, we can kill some children. No, no just stop. stop killing the children. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, well, what about this time? What about this one? Yeah, I know. It's Now, one thing. Well, I, I will say that what, what the Bible does say, and this is actually, you know, relevant to some of the discussion we're having, it says radical separation from this. Yeah. Radical separation yes, from yes, this, yes, right? Yes. The book of Deuteronomy is like, you'll go into the land, and there will be people who will tempt you to participate in these <laughs> sorts of cultures, <laughs> yes. and you will not participate in these <laughs> sorts of cultures, or the land will spit you out. Right? Yep. Here's a whole list of curses. I mean, we just read this in the Torah the last couple of weeks. A whole list of curses of bad things that are going to happen to you if you do all of these things, because that's, that's the natural consequence of doing all these things. And people read that as like God saying, if you do this, I shall smite you with my hand. But that's not, the, that's not what he's saying. What <laughs> yeah. he's saying is the world works in a particular way. If you do these things, the natural consequence of these things is really, really, really bad. And so when the consequences happen, I swear, because our society is so childish, they have no idea of cause and effect. It's like they, they do the thing. It's like, it's like my, my seven-year-old son sometimes. He'll, do some, he'll say he's about to do something bad. And I'll say, like, if you do that, this is going to happen. And then he does the bad thing. And then that happens. And I'm like, why did that happen? I, I literally just told you one second ago why that was going to happen. And that's our society. We say, like, you know what happens if you completely disregard children and pretend that you don't have to build a future? Well, then you have a childless society of miserable single people. And they're like, but why do we have a child, a childless society filled with miserable single people? How could this have happened? You know, something I used to love when I was a child and that I still love as an adult is eating a delicious chocolate. And many of you know that we launched Jeremy's Chocolate back in March and sold out our he, him, and she, her, uh, respectively, nut and nutless bars within weeks of the launch. Well, now Halloween is quickly approaching and we are back in stock and we are ready to ship. How phenomenal is it that you won't have to settle for ideological chocolate from people who think Frankenstein can become his own bride? Huh? Who writes this stuff? These leftist corporations hate you and they hate what you believe. So strike back by ordering your chocolate at jeremyschocolate.com before they sell out again. I'm a little miffed that YouTube booted Candace on this big week and everything. But one thing I love about this show not being on YouTube right now is we can just slam transgenderism for the entire (laughs) two hours. I mean, we can shill the trans chocolates or the anti-trans chocolates. We can talk about these stories that are going on very openly. Usually you have to go to dailywire.com and become a member to get the uh, parts of the show that YouTube will not uh, permit on. Before we get to the member block, there's one very, very important story we have to get to. I can't believe we haven't touched on it yet. Aliens. Uh, <laughs> close. Maybe we'll get to that in the member block, unless I have anything That's to say about back. it. <laughs> no, this is a more important story. A, a man from Florida, of course, uh, tried to cross the Atlantic Ocean in a human-powered hamster I love wheel. Uh, he, there's the hamster <laughs> wheel. You can see it right there. Uh, he was arrested by the Coast Guard for Why? some reason. What? Why? 
And, and that's what, what people, that's what people this, are this asking. America. This man's <laughs> name, uh, Riza Bellucci, uh, right off the Mayflower, traditional American name. Uh, he was arrested 70 miles off the coast of Georgia when officers found him during a, quote, manifestly unsafe voyage while Hurricane Franklin was headed toward the area. Arrested on what charges? Uh, of being... Uh, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, being an explorer, <laughs> yeah. um, they they uh, found him, but there was a big standoff because he didn't he didn't want to go. Oh, wait, this is the oh, first time authorities have found Belucci. This is not the first time. <laughs> no, no, he tried it one other time. How'd it go? So, well, he didn't quite make it. Twenty fourteen, the Coast Guard found him also 70 miles off the coast of Man, Florida. Man, they really set up that radius 70 miles out there. It's like, you will not pass 70 miles. If he only made it to 80. It was uh, an inflatable bubble that time during an attempt to run around the Bermuda Triangle. So He's very determined to run around in contraptions mm-hmm. in the water. Out of, like, Tom and Jerry cartoons. So That's hot right now. What? <laughs> it's so hot right now. Just very quickly before we get to the member block, was the Coast Guard right? No, they were. I have a lot to say. About that. <laughs> <laughs> this man this is right down his right down Broadway for yes, that. Sir. This man, this is a, an innovator. This is a voyager. This, <laughs> this, is, this isn't a, this is an adventure. Look, we live in a yeah. world that's been already conquered, and so people are looking for ways. And most things have already been discovered. You have to go deep in the Amazon or deep under the ocean, like the, the intrepid explorers okay. on the submarine. All right, uh, it's and, too and soon. People are people are. Well, it's a tribute to them. People are looking for ways to, 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 to reach and to do something, to, to ex- expand beyond the normal horizons of, of, of normal human behavior. And so this, is, this man spent how many years making this hamster wheel? At least a week. And yeah. <laughs> longer than that. I mean, that thing looked very impressive. And he finally launches it. And then the Coast Guard shuts down his dream for no reason. I'll tell you why. It's because you're, jealous. People, you're not allowed to dream anymore. <laughs> jealous. People are not allowed. I'm doing a speech. <laughs> People are not allowed to have dreams anymore. Yeah. It's yeah. Right? Hamster dreams. Okay. Uh-huh. Wow. That was compelling. I had hamsters when so I was First of all, we need to immediately drop thousands of these hamster wheels in Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> so we get more Republican voters in Florida. That's correct. Yeah. That's right. I, I want and Cubans cigars. to be able to Democrats escape. Democrats will buy them in my home state of Florida. Florida. They're awesome. I love the Cubans <laughs> in Florida. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. So more of this. Mm-hmm. More, more hamster wheels. Not fewer hamster wheels. The answer to, ha- the, the, the answer to hamster wheels mm. is more hamster wheels. That is the... That is the actual answer. Also, again, I don't know, like, why does the Coast Guard care? So here, can I be so the wet blanket here? Chinese spy balloon flying across America. <laughs> yeah. U.S. military, like, yeah. a weird guy in hamster wheels 70 miles off the coast of Georgia, like, get him, get that. <laughs> can I be, I'm, I'm going to be the wet blanket authoritarian far right wing conservative. Uh-oh. I don't think that people should be permitted to commit suicide in elaborately cartoonish ways. <laughs> I think that's a bad idea for society. I think people should be allowed to to go into the ocean in elaborately cartoonish ways. Is he dead? Is the second? Uh, no, dead. he's not. He's, he's not, not dead. dead. And it's you're been right. A success. And I, I have more questions. I want to know more about the contraption. I want to know how high were the waves? Eat. What was that yeah. experience like? How, yeah, I, there, I have so many questions about the story. And what were the charges? How, how many miles is the Atlantic Ocean? Is it, because if it's 80, I say let him go for it. <laughs> but Look, it, it, reminds me, it, re, it reminds me of the case of the, of, we remember many years ago, the man that uh, took a lawn chair to put a bunch of balloons on a lawn chair. Yes. And he floated into the sky. <laughs> they took that man down also, and yeah. they arrested him what kind of on what charges? On what really? charges? Really. On the yeah. charges of excellent cartoonish fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was just, just terrible. I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't understand it at all. 
And it seems to me that, frankly, we should replace General Mark Milley with this with this fellow. <laughs> Reza, well, Reza Baluchi. He has, he, has, he has greater expertise mm-hmm. on the high seas mm-hmm. than apparently many of our military. I don't know how much white rage he has, though. You know, that's that's going to be a point of contention. And he's already lived longer than most hamsters. So <laughs> <laughs> I think he's playing with the house's money yeah, at this yeah, point. Thousand. You know, folks, it's time to take some of our member questions. Hey, but now, we're not going to switch over because we're here. We're just oh, here for Daily okay. Wire Plus yeah, right now. Got it. So this is one of the perks being a Daily Wire Plus member is that you can submit questions about any topic other than extraterrestrials, and we will answer them uh, from our lovely members who fund this whole place. First question up, Candace, will you be doing a second season of Convicting a Murderer? Yes. Where you debunk Avery's new lawyer, Kathleen. I think she does a good job of making it look like he was framed, and I thought season two of Making a Murderer was more convincing than season one. Wow, that's actually an unusual take. People said that season two was not great and season one was one that hooked everybody. Most people actually dropped off after season one after watching a few episodes in season two. Um, But to answer the question, first and foremost, one of the things me and my husband's always say is lawyers got a lawyer. If you're a good lawyer, Mm -hmm. you know how to lawyer. You just talk and like, you know, and bill people for tons of money. And she had the crowd already because Netflix did all the work for her. It's interesting to see that she hasn't yet said anything since it's come out. We've already gotten so many tremendous emails from people saying that they've flipped their opinion, including people that were in the documentary, like Mm. hardcore Stephen Avery the cat incident. Like they were just like pers- like personally uh, just looking at this and realizing that they left out these details is already disturbing to me. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting. And I think especially because the documentary makers were women, Kathleen Zellner is a woman. Uh, when Once you, you learn what happened and how Teresa Hallback suffered, and then you realize that she was again murdered in her afterlife figuratively by a bunch of women who mm-hmm. were just out to make money, uh, it, it's not a good position to be in. So I'm watching Kathleen Zellner. I don't think she's going to to be saying much. So, sorry, so far, she seems pretty mum. Uh, I'm working on a different documentary right now. And if, you know, convicting a murderer, if there's tons of interest in the season two, which I think after you get through what we've unpacked, you're going to be like, no, this man's guilty. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll do it. But uh, I'm, you know, working on some other stuff right now. Which I, want you to do, I want you to do convicting a murderer on OJ. Oh, <laughs> I think it'd be amazing. That would. Be I want amazing. you to do with all the murders, yeah. especially after, after they did Central that whole, Park Five. I mean, everything. All, yeah, it's just everyone. They, they did that entire series, basically proclaiming that it was because of the failures of the prosecution that he wasn't convicted, when it was very clear why he wasn't convicted. Yeah, yeah. And I clearly remember, actually, in my childhood, like my dad and people in my family being excited that he didn't. Like it was like this thing where your pressure was just you're black. You're supposed to be happy that he didn't get off. They, I was um, so young. I remember. I, I was in public. But school that was pretty much it. I remember they if wheeled. you were black, you cheered because he got off. And then I got older and I learned the facts of the case. And I was like... <laughs> that he brutally murdered his <laughs> lawyer. Or uh, waiter, rather. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, and, I, I remember they, they literally wheeled a, a TV into our classroom hmm. to announce the verdict on the on the OJ Gosh, case. And no. I remember there was... Yeah, How old were you? Crazy. How old were you? Well, that, that was 95, so I was 11. Okay. Wow. Uh, and I remember they wheeled it into the classroom. And I remember there was a... There was a a dramatic racial split. It was like everybody who was, every black kid in the class was like, yeah! Easy. And everybody else was like, he's so obviously guilty. Guilty, yeah. And yeah. Now, did you see the gloves? Yeah, yeah that's actually did you see The gloves didn't fit on his hand. But <laughs> that really tells you how black America quit. is so seen cultural icons. You know, culture, he plays football, this person well, plays basketball, it doesn't matter what the facts are. By the way, that was what was amazing about the OJ case, I mean, not to get to completely digressive here, is that OJ was completely disconnected from the, the quote-unquote black community. I'm not black, I'm OJ. the whitest area in L.A. Brentwood was the whitest area in L.A. And by the way, if he didn't try it in Brentwood, he is guilty as hell, right? He goes immediately to death row if he's tried in Brentwood. And the minute they, they, they moved it to downtown L.A., that case was over, basically, because they had a different jury pool. But the black community rallying around OJ, who had done nothing for the black community, yep. like, at all, 
It was just. But he was it, good at sports. It was, it was an amazing, amazing thing. That Speaking of murders, this is a question for the group. Is it now spooky season? Personally, for me, it is. But collectively, what do you all think? Halloween is pagan crap. That's what I think. I'm trying really? to get my husband to be Prince Harry so I can be Meghan Markle. Wow. For Instagram. <laughs> oh, you should do it. So come on, just great. for Instagram. Oh, you 100% just get dressed up and, and. What do we have to tell, tell him to make that happen? I know. That's nice. I know. It, it just like, I'm like, it's perfect. That's all we have to do is moan and. We want privacy. We want privacy. Are you? You're actually anti-Halloween. Yes, but you have I Jewish Halloween. Halloween. You have Purim. Purim has nothing to do with yes, like, it does. Pagan spirits and weird, <laughs> weird pumpkins and crap. But they get to dress Purim, up. Purim, and get is, to have Purim, fun. Purim is like most of our holidays. It's like they tried to kill us. We defeated them. Let's eat. And in this case, let's drink and we'll read some stuff and put on silly costumes and put on silly costumes. Yeah, we that, don't that. celebrate. Halloween. What about you, Michael? Are you there is a look. I've, I've I used to be really into Halloween back when I was just a vicious pagan, but I, I'm, I'm into it now in that it has great religious significance, you know, uh, All Hallows' Eve and All Saints' Day. And so th- there's a question for, for Christians, which is the really trad, like, good, wholesome thing to do is you dress your kids up not as monsters and ghosts, saints, but as, yeah. as saints. Yeah. And I, the thing is, the saint costumes are pretty gory, too. Like, Peter Martyr's <laughs> got an axe in his, or, uh, uh, yeah, an axe in his head. Uh, Saint Simon the Zealot's carrying a saw that sawed him in half, you know? So those could be, pre- or you just wear, like, white robes. Yeah, but then the advantage is you go trick-or-treating with a kid, and you have to explain the costume to every house. Like, <laughs> yeah. what are you? Oh, I'm saying. Like, you get the blank expressions when you explain it. But I'm still pretty into it. So we split between, like, a, a horror show and a saint. My kid last year just went as Elvis. And now I'm thinking. Now I'm thinking about Curious George for the for the little baby and the man in the yellow hat for my eldest. Yeah, which the, we, we did do Purim, and so this year it'll probably be something Star Wars related because my kids are very very into Star Wars. And the good news is there are a lot of characters in that, so we're doing that plus my sister's family. So that that is eight kids combined, four adults, and my parents. Who gets to be so Jar Jar? No, no one is Jar Jar. <laughs> Greatest Jar-Jar. character. The baby, the baby is always Baby Yoda. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Yeah. Are you are you pro Halloween? Oh, I'm fine with it. Yeah, yeah. I don't. We, we don't like. You know, shocking to me. So Captain Yoga is the root of all evil, is like fine with Halloween and its current Well, because for the reason Michael just pointed out, that it's, oh. it's actually got deep Christian significance. And I mean, I'm not going to, you know, the kids aren't going to dress up like devils or whatever, but, right. uh, but uh, you know, it's just a fun, and it's really modern Halloween. It's just a commercial invention. It's, it doesn't have roots any deeper than that. So that's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Matt on this. I, I yeah. like Halloween. It's fun. You get I can't believe I'm the fundamentalist Christian on this. Program. You are. You are. And you we get you're the evangelical. Yeah, coming to now. We, have, we haven't you done it. You get candy, so. And you get candy, which is, and, and the parents get to eat the candy. But they put razors in the candy. Did you, that's what, I always heard they put razors in the candy. <laughs> I've never once did, had a razor did, in my kids. I did that to my kids, but the, <laughs> yeah, most people but don't do that. Not my, to the neighborhood. My kids very much believe that there are bad guys out there that might poison candy. That's why daddy... I would like to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. By eating the candy. Sac- sacrificially yeah. check the candy Absolutely. to make sure it's not poison. <laughs> you're, you're a good man. I want mini, like, Jeremy's chocolates, but I want to launch my own Jeremy's chocolate... Candace, it's okay to be white chocolate. This feels appropriate <laughs> for Halloween. And they would sell out the Daily Wire. And I'd like to pitch this live. I, I'm, I'm, ben? Ben? <laughs> wow. Put it in the hopper. Yeah. Put it in the yeah, hopper. We'll get you. back to you. Thank you. Okay. There's a just process. Throw it out there yeah. live. That, Candace says it's okay to be white chocolate. We'll just I'm, go crazy. Yeah. My original white chocolate for proposal Halloween. was the Rachel Dolezal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Rachel Dolezal white chocolate was like my original proposal. Uh, it's that, that's the best idea the Daily Wire has had. Yeah, in quite, yeah, quite a while. Just trying to, you know, sell out some chocolate here, <laughs> yeah. guys. This is a question for the panel. My brother has come out as a trans woman. My family fully supports his decision, and I seem to be the only person that seems to disagree with it. I'm stuck between submitting and supporting him and getting shunned for being transphobic. Any thought would help. Thanks. 
Mm. Matt Walsh. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I think we all, I mean, I, this is probably the number one question I get when I'm out doing college talks, um, is a version of this question. What do I do? Such as family members come out as trans, what do I do? And I mean, the answer is that unfortunately there's not any easy, like I can't give you, I don't think anyone would give you a three-step process that you can follow and everything will be fine. Uh, the answer is just, it's just going to be difficult. But for you, there's just, there's, there's no option of going along with it. You absolutely do not submit to it. And all you can do, so, so, so you're not going to submit. You're going to stand uh, with the truth. Uh, it doesn't mean that you are being uh, aggressive or necessarily even confrontational, but you're not going to go along with this delusion. Your brother is a, is a male, and you're going to stand by that. And all you can do is have faith, and I think it will work out this way. Oftentimes it does, where um, in the short term, he's not going to want to be around you. He's going to want to disown you as a, as a sibling. That is the case. But down the line, you, know, you, might, you might plant some seeds, and down the line— quite possibly he will realize that not, lo- not only were you right, but you were the only person in the family yeah. who really loved him in any way that mattered. So. Yeah, so, you know, I actually had, I was, I was walking around Tennessee the other day, and a gal came up to me, and we were chatting, and she watches the show, and uh, she was with some liberal people, and then as we're talking, she goes, hey, before I left, she goes, by the way, can you tell Matt that his movie really helped me because my sister is uh, trans, like, thinks, and I said, oh, I'm sorry, that's very difficult. And she goes, yeah, I mean, she's like had the mastectomy, like she's pretty far along in this. And I could tell this gal didn't, you know, she was surrounded by liberal people. She, she didn't know what to do. And so she was standing for truth as best she could, but she really felt the pressure. And your movie apparently like shaped her view on how she could mm-hmm. handle this kind well, of thing. Well, this is honestly the, the counter message to what you're saying is one of the worst messages in our society, which is that love means unconditional support for any decision that a person makes, no matter how damaging to themselves or others. That is not what love is. I mean, when the Bible says, don't place a stumbling block in front of a blind person, this is what it is talking about. Yes. This is literally what it is talking about. You are, you are not allowed. You are biblically forbidden. And you should be morally forbidden yeah. from somebody who's doing something wrong, humoring them, going along with it. Because if you truly love that person, you have to let them know that what they are doing is a mistake for them. It's a mistake for the family. It has extra con- And it's so hard. It's so bad. It really is. But there's, as, as Matt says, there, there is no other choice. Because if you surrender that, that's not, that's not love. That's just acquiescence. That's and, not, scandal. But there are, ways and, there are ways and ways of doing this. I mean, one of the things... Of course. That, I'm, we're always talking about... Like, one of the things that's very disturbing like on the right is... It's very disturbing on the right is that the choice is between accepting some, but what somebody's doing... And condemning them. And, <laughs> throwing you know, them off a rooftop. Throwing, yeah. or, <laughs> right. or burning them at the stake. And There are pl- plenty of ways to turn to somebody and say, listen, I love you. I'm always here for you. I'll always talk to you. I'm just telling you where I stand on this. And anytime you need me, I'm here. You know, and that's, that's a different thing. And also, by the way, I mean, listen to any de- detransitioner, Chloe Cole, or any detransitioner that's spoken out about this. And they'll all say the same thing about, I mean, they feel deeply betrayed uh, and used by the medical industry and by therapists and counselors and all these, I mean, all these systems, institutions that have, um, that that have abused them, but but they also deal. With, you know, they also look back at their family members and they, and they think like, why didn't you? Why did you go along with this? Yeah. Why didn't you stop yeah. me? Um, so, this question for Ben. Ben, any updates as to how Pendragon is going and when Jeremy is coming back? So Jeremy will be there forever, <laughs> yeah. um, and he will be and he will force me purgatory like to to come to the set. Mm-hmm. In, in, despite the fact that he started this show mainly so that he could be part of a show with all of us. Come to this set. To this, this, the backstage this, set. This yes. specific backstage set. Mm-hmm. I'll be doing that for the next 20 years while Jeremy is still hungry. <laughs> yeah. the, no, the reality is I spoke with Jeremy today and uh, it's apparently going great. He was shooting a battle scene, which sounds yeah. awesome. 
I, I know that you, you actually visited the set. It's so a better question for you than it is for me. So I was over in Budapest, but it was before... So I, I saw Jeremy, obviously, but I, it was before they started shooting. I've seen on, a, on an iPhone, you know, I've seen some of the... It's out of this world. I had no idea. I mean, I am... They built like an entire village. Yes, they're going to have to start selling furniture from this set <laughs> and all of it just to start funding what's going on over there. It is... It is the, the scale of this cannot really be overstated. <laughs> you know, this is not the ordinary uh, film. So it's very cool. And yes, he's going to be over there forever. And yeah. uh, that's too bad. I hope I get to see him again at some point. You know? <laughs> uh, this is a question for me. Catholics believe that once married, you can't be unmarried. However, what if the marriage was not done by the church? Let's say that a man gets married outside of the church and then gets a divorce, is it okay for him to get remarried inside of the church? Uh, I am not a priest, so this is actually not an answer, uh, a question for me. There is a process for this in the Catholic Church, which is called annulment, and people think annulment is just the Catholic loophole around divorce, because the Catholics say, no divorce, punto y basta, sorry, it's over, not going to happen. And uh, the question of annulment is, was your marriage valid in the first place, which is kind of what you're getting at. And uh, I don't have the answer to that because I need a lot of the specifics. So this is why there's an investigation. It's actually kind of difficult to get an annulment. Uh, what happens after a marriage? You can say, well, my husband's a big jerk and, you know, he cheated on me. And he did, that doesn't matter. I mean, it's bad. It's horrible. It obviously matters in your marriage. But that wouldn't determine whether or not your marriage was valid at the time. So uh, what you would do, and this is not really... Uh, the sort of thing that in our individualist society we like to hear is you you would go to the church and you would have the relevant authorities investigate this. And uh, a lot of times there are issues with, with how marriages were done, but if not, you're stuck, man. Sorry to tell you, but you got to work on your marriage. And if people uh, took that more seriously, maybe the divorce rate would be a little bit lower. How's that? Question for all. I want to get married, but I haven't found anyone. I'm so scared of dating apps after a friend got kidnapped from one. What? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Go on. Yeah. Huh? Uh, I'm 20 and getting old for my culture, family, and faith. All right. You know, 20. 20? Are you? Yeah. Are okay. you like a Wahhabi and you know Saudi Arabia or something? <laughs> uh, how, how do I find conservative uh, Christians? I'm in college. I'm active in my community. I need a guy like you guys. What do I do? Well, I'm taken, baby. So yeah. sorry, not going to work. You know, but uh, I'm hearing this a lot from young women of you know who are of good standing and actually uh, cling to conservative values, that guys aren't stepping up. Well, yeah. that, that makes perfect sense. Why would guys Why step would guys up? They have, a, they have a free field of sex available to them whenever <laughs> they want in any place from any woman, basically. Well, this what, is what is the actual... Well, also, woman, the consequences... I agree, I, I, I agree with you. The, yeah. consequences the thing that we're picking on movement. with that lady is that she's promulgating that as a standard. But yeah, yeah, that's one element. And then also the consequences of the Me Too movement, which I was just talking about yesterday, is men are scared to even approach a woman and ask her on a date, to compliment her, to tell her that she's beautiful. These natural things that were happening between men and women have now been cast as perverse. The perverse stuff is not considered perverse. So being naked online is totally fine. Um, but then a man just being allowed to go up to a girl and say, you look beautiful or talk to her. And women are suffering because they're like, why aren't men stepping up to the plate? Well, they're because they're terrified. They're terrified mm -hmm. because they hold a door and a feminist screams at them and says, I can do it all by myself. And you're, oh, God, but you stand me all the time. I never so care. So there's just, there's, yeah, exactly. There's, <laughs> there's a, but it's a cultural sickness. Or if they try to initiate, uh, you know, if they, if they try to flirt with a woman or something, they're afraid they're, they're yeah, sexual, harassment. sexual harassment. I, yes. If I could, just to give uh, some, some practical advice. Well, I'm not really equipped to give practical advice. I haven't been on the dating scene in over a decade, but she, she brought up the dating apps, and I think that um, 
a lot of these dating apps, from the little I know about them, many of these dating apps, probably most of them are, are pretty bad because they're really just hookup apps and mm -hmm. the people that use them aren't interested in having relationships. But if you can find, I think there are still some apps and sites out there, dating sites, um, where people tend to go there because they're interested in actually having a relationship and, they're, and they are, really it's a, even if they don't put it this way, it's more of a courtship uh, site. And so I think it's, that, that's um, a very practical tool that people these days should use. And really, you know, I think for a lot of people, they, they're like, if I, if I don't have that, if I don't have the app or the website, then how am I supposed to meet? You know, I, the, so, other, the other thing is you, you do have to make friends. If you're a single person, you do have to make friends with people who are married. Because if you ask a group of married friends, if they have somebody for you, yeah. very often they, they will have Traditional matchmaking. hundred yeah. Go backwards. And they this love is how it happens and in they love community. doing it. Mm -hmm. Honestly, this is the no, way, I know. In, in the Orthodox community, the way that it happens is basically you have a single person and you invite them over for Shabbat with a bunch of other people mm -hmm. and the person will say, I'm single. And literally the first question all the married couples ask is, okay, what are you looking for? Like, we'll, we'll immediately start <laughs> yeah. what we call the shidduch conversation, right? We'll start talking with them what they're looking for and then we all start like racking our memories for like, okay, who's still available? Who's, who, and what, that's what actually, does that mean? What conversation? It, it's called shidduch. It's, it's shidduchim. Is, that's like the, the Hebrew term for, for fix-ups, okay. right? So, so you start having the shidduch conversation. This is stuff that, like, I, I don't know a couple that hasn't fixed up other yeah. couples in the yeah. Jewish community. That's, Especially, that's, yeah. I remember the woman I introduced you to that I used to nanny for. It was an Orthodox Jewish family in New York, and they were all like, ah, Benjamin, I love you. Um, uh, but anyways, she was a matchmaker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. she was a matchmaker. And yeah. it, it works. It actually works. 100%. <laughs> you know, I mean, people... if you watch, so I, I rarely recommend shows on Netflix, but I did do a YouTube video about a show called Jewish Matchmaking, which is on Netflix. And the lady who does it is what they call a Khan. She's, she's a, a, a full-time matchmaker. And it's an Orthodox lady. So what she says is actually pretty good advice. I mean, she's she's actually like having people date for values. She she tells them that they really should stay chaste, that they should try to actually get to know one another and determine whether they're into you know something maritally related. And uh, you know that. But but the the big the broader question is, I see this in my community. I don't know if you guys see this also. There is a wild imbalance between the number of girls who want to get married, which actually in many in our community is larger the number of guys because there's an age gap also. So what's happening is that guys can marry up till the time like they're 30, but girls by the time in our community, they're like 25, are already starting to get on like the, the like you're on the older scale of getting married in our community. And that, that's, that's a real problem. Mm -hmm. And so the only way to fix that is by going back to, I know old fashioned words here, chastity. It's the only way to make it go back. They, yeah. Because again, the old bargain was that yes, you would have sex within the confines of marriage. And it was a real draw, you know, it was a real selling point. It was like, it was like if you would like access to this thing that will, you know, give you extraordinary bliss and pleasure and also comes along with a family, then you're going to have to get married for it. And then women were like, what if we just have sex randomly? And guys were like, okay, sounds amazing. And then, and then women cool. were like, well, but where did all of you go? Why exactly, where did all the men go? To the lady next door, that's where all the men went. I mean, yeah. like, ugh. This is, you know, sometimes people will, before dating apps, they would go to bars. Yeah. Or they'd go to whatever, you know, my life. <laughs> join, you join the softball league or something. I don't know. You're probably not going to find a lot of men in the softball league. But the, that's fine. You can meet people there. However, my friends who I've kind of helped guide to different little romances and things, it's, it's not when you go to a common interest group. It's when you go to a common values group. Correct. Mm -hmm. And it could be political. It could be religious. It's better. Uh, but that's going to be much, much more effective because the guy you see at the bar you have, maybe maybe he's a good guy, but you just have no way of knowing that. The guy you go to the you're sports never, league You're never going to meet the girl you want in the bar. And yeah, also, it's, it's rare. It's rare. Not, not to sound like a, a self-help book, but, you, but you know, there's some basic things here, like you have to work on your on yourself. I mean, that, that, that's that's the, the only thing you have direct control over right now. If you're single and you want to meet someone, you have, you have direct control. You can't force anyone to be interested in you, but the only thing you can directly control is yourself. So, you know, very often when I uh, talk to single people, whether man or, or woman, and they have complaints like this, 
And even, you know, not to be rude, but even just like looking at them, I, I can think, well, there, there are some things you could, you could dress better. You can go to the gym. You can work out. You can work on your appearance. Things like appearance that really does matter. That's what's yeah. going to initially draw you to someone mm-hmm. uh, and draw people to you. So like, basic things like that. And I think... Um, and also to, to be virtuous. I, I mean, this say, is... Where, 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 do you, yeah. where are you? Where in, in location? Are you in a church? Are you yeah. in a temple? Are you in the places where you're going to meet the guy or the girl who's doing the same things that you're doing? Because if you're, if you're doing, listen, back when my, I was an atheist for 10 years, you know, in some of my single days, and I, I was... Did a little blow? Did, yeah. Now listen here, man, I, I ate some dogs and did some blow and hung out with Larry Sinclair. <laughs> no, like, I, did, I wasn't like going down the Obama path, but I, you know, when I was... <laughs> I'd hope not. When I was <laughs> either in my mind or in real life, and with him maybe it was both, but, but I, you know, when I, when I would date gals back in my single days, I was like kind of a degenerate, you know, I was kind of a derelict. I was not at the appropriate degree of virtue to which I could even expect to, you know, other than through solely unmerited grace to to end up with a a virtuous lady like sweet little Elisa. So like you can work on yourself in that way too, to be the kind of person who is even remotely deserving of of the kind of woman you want to marry. Yeah, but it's more important to just be hot. And be hot. And and (laughs) look smart. You got to look smart. I I feel bad because I I feel like I have a marriage, an exemplary marriage. I can tell people about being married. We did everything wrong. You know, I picked my wife up hitchhiking, you know. So we did every, every single thing wrong. So like, she good... got, why'd you get in the car? <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the crazy part. Not you. Her. What in the world? Well, it's still, it's still her. I, I don't understand it. <laughs> but still, I, like, I don't know how to meet people because I did everything wrong. Hitchhiking. Right. Yeah, yeah. Hitchhiking, that's the way to do it. That's great the answer great to your idea. question. Hitchhiking. This is a question. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there a free <laughs> Stand out, get that thumb ready to go. Works every time. <laughs> this is a question for everyone. Thoughts about evolution. I think that other animals probably evolved, but I have a hard time believing that animals without human souls birth a human with a human soul. Uh, so let's see how lib everybody is here. Do you all believe in that Darwinian nonsense? <laughs> um, Yes. I mean, like, in, in, in which sense? I mean, the way, That's a good question, uh, because Because there, there, there are a bunch of sort of versions of Dar- Darwin that, that are competing with one another. The classical Darwinian sense is, is not correct. There is no smooth scale of evolution that where over time, they're not, punctuated equilibrium is the way that evolution really works, where there's sort of like random explosions that you can't really explain as to evolution, where it's basically stable for a long time, then bam, all of a sudden, huge variety of new species. And then it kind of winnows, and then bam, huge variety of new species and, and great advances. And, you know, to me, like, one of the things that, that um, Stephen Meyer talks about this a lot is, is that there's all this DNA that's kind of pre-existing the explosion, and then the explosion happens and suddenly it gets activated. And so you wonder why is all that stuff there in the first? Like God can use whatever mechanism He wants to make a human being. Yeah. I'm always I'm always confused by this idea that God must. The only way this would have happened is if God was like a you know was a, a potter and he just went and he like made clay and that, that's how he did it. Like no, that maybe that's how you would do it, but God God can do it however He He damn well pleases. And as far as when the soul adheres, the the answer would be when the soul adheres. I mean I don't, yeah. I don't have like a straight. That's answer sort of what C.S. Lewis said was that. There was some, maybe there was some kind of animal thing, but it's at a certain point, right. God touched some baboon, and that baboon became Adam. And that, I mean, that, that, soul. That's why I, I've never quite seen this as a as a great spiritual problem, like a lot of people do. Yeah. I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, to Ben to Ben's point, we know that God God could create however He wants to create. We already know that God creates gradually. That's how He chooses to do it. I mean, that's how He creates every individual person. Every person starts, uh, you know, in the womb as a microscopic. Uh, human being, and then and then grows from there. Initially, is unrecognizable as a human, becomes more recognizable over time, but is always a human. So we know that God creates gradually, and, and we also know that um, 
you know, what, I mean, what is evolution? It's just uh, genetic traits inherited over time and cha small changes over time uh, that build. We, we know this kind of thing happens, I and mean, we've observed it even through the course of human civilization. You could look at, like, not human. Sure. This is, well, we could look at, you know, a, a dog, domesticated dogs. Every, every dog is, is descended from, from wolves, and we know this, you know. Uh, and so, you know, the golden retriever is, 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 if you go back far enough, great, great, you know, times a hundred grandfather, is a, is a wolf. So we know that we've, we've actually seen this, we've observed this in human civilization happening. So it doesn't challenge my faith at all. It might be a little tougher. Yeah. The, the, one, the, the key issue is randomness. This is, this is the stupid part of evolution because ra a, the randomness or order of a system is outside the system. So if you're inside the system, you can't tell whether it's random or ordered except by clues. You yeah. can deduce it. And the idea that this is random is absurd. And every, all of the arguments for atheism from evolution are about the randomness. They're not about the evolution. That's a good point. And it is not a, a you know, we are not in a random I universe. mean, the larger question for me, I definitely believe in evolution, but the larger question for me is like devolving, <laughs> which I think is actually <laughs> happening right now. Like I, I'm watching people that are like going back to homo sapiens and australopithecuses screaming in the streets and acting like bamboos. So I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually terrified of like devolving. Uh, you know, I, I might be the, <laughs> I think I might be the, the most like Darwin skeptical then perhaps. There, there's a good essay by David Galerter, who's mm -hmm. a you know, yeah. genius polymath, um, who uh, put it in the Claremont Review of Books, and it, he said, it's called Giving Up Darwin. And he did it, he's a mathematician, and he said, he, he just now finds Darwin to be mathematically untenable. Uh, there wasn't enough time. It's know. a really interesting article. And it's a good article, and it's based on another book by David Berlinski called The right. Deniable Darwin, I think it's called. And uh, and it, what David Galerter says is, look, I find evolution to be a beautiful theory. It pains me to give it up, actually. And I don't blame Darwin because there have just been advances in mathematics that we have now that we did, you know, Darwin wouldn't, wouldn't have had available to him. So I, I remain... Uh, and Directed also, evolution, though. Directed evolution, or, or even the kind of resuscitation of Lamarck, who had his own version of evolution, and then it kind of went away for a while, and then it's come back through epigenetics and the notion of inherited uh, acquired traits through life. Uh, I, I basically don't care about evolution. I, if I found out tomorrow that it's all completely bunk, I wouldn't be surprised at all, and I wouldn't care. The, the one part I think that is, and if I found out it were true, like, I guess it would be fine. The one part that I think is spiritually significant is uh, something that Pope Pius XII insisted on in Humani Generis, which is we have to be descended from a common ancestor. We human beings have to be descended from a literal Adam and a literal Eve, whatever their names were, wherever they were, how, however they looked, uh, because... If that is not the case, then things like human solidarity, then, then things like, uh, well, then so many aspects that go along with political life and that have theological uh, bases, those kind of go away, and as, as do issues of original sin and salvation history. And so I do, I do kind of stick on that point mm. of a common monogenesis. It's become increasingly called. accepted, though, a lot, yeah. a lot of scientists. Also, far from it, far from it, me to, to you know, contradict. Catholicism, but I will stand with Aquinas, which is, you know, if, if science and, and the Bible contradict, one of them is wrong. Yes. Uh, you're interpreting one of them wrong. Yep. Uh, and so the, the basic, idea, like if I found out tomorrow that actually humanity had evolved separately, but the same in multiple different places at the same time and then cross streams at some point, would that significantly bother me? No, because the, the sin that exists in every human heart existed in all those human hearts whenever those human hearts were created. And it certainly wouldn't suck yeah. the truth or the depth out of Genesis, which is probably the deepest. But would, wouldn't it, wouldn't it at the very least, complicate uh, the, the choice of that? In Adam, we all sinned, you know? Well, the, I mean, the fact, but, the fact I, that but, I, but I, uh, that, that depends on how you're reading the Adam and Eve stories. So yes. You read that absolutely literally. 
that there was one man and one woman and they were in a garden and then they ate a piece of fruit and then God cast them out of this, this garden for which a location is given and, and all of this, then sure. But if you read it the way that I think it is meant to be read, which is as a, the greatest piece of literature in human history, yes. uh, and, and which is meant to embed the most fundamental messages in all of human history. The first several chapters of Genesis are like the most fundamental stuff ever written by anybody ever because God wrote them. And so what that means is that like, but I, I, by the way, I read Cain and Abel the same way. I read the stories of Noah the same way. But could, but, I, but if, if Adam can, Adam can be a, a genre of, of thing. But if there were lots of Adam and Eve stories, right? I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there's chapter one and chapter two. They're not right. the same. I mean, but, it, not. but if, if there were lots of different Adams who all just coincidentally happened to sin, does, does it's that, not coincidentally. No, that's buried in human nature. The story of Adam and Eve but, is that human beings attempt to supplant their logic for God's logic and are kicked out of the garden because of it. But did, then did is, Adam— and every, and every human being recapitulates that journey throughout the course of their life. Did, did Adam and Eve not have the ability to obey God and not to disobey God? They, they had the ability to obey God, but, the, but the, the temptation of every human is to supplant his own logic for, for God's logic, which is why no one ends up in the garden. Because yeah, there's no, because in the end, human beings are fundamentally, without an act of complete faith, human beings are fundamentally incapable of identifying completely with God's will because God's non- But what Adam was able to before he sinned, wasn't he? There, I mean, that's the Christian I mean, understanding. There, with, without asking questions, but then he starts asking questions and, and pretty soon, you I, know, things was you know, It's entirely possible that there was an Adam and Eve, but if there wasn't, the Bible is still- This is what I'm li- saying. Literally. Yeah. Like, I, I don't yeah. know why I would take yeah, yeah. risky situation. I'm not going to take the risky position of, I know exactly how everything went down. The one thing right. I do know is that the Bible remains true no matter how it went <laughs> yeah. down. It remains so incredibly true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that cliffhanger, <laughs> on the cliffhanger of we, the origin uh, of- We didn't get a chance life. to talk about Oh, no, that's what, what, time we what topic oh, did you want? I think okay. that's it, guys. Uh, but we'll be sure to get to it next <laughs> and, and time. And we'll, we'll sit around here talking about it after. We will. Can't wait to do it. Thank <laughs> you so much for tuning in to Daily Wire backstage. See you next time.